Eating Class. I'm Richmond, and welcome to the Art Eater Podcast. This is a podcast number 33. Um, yes, so the Art Eater Podcast is dedicated to the art, uh, artistry, and history behind uh, some of our favorite video games, comics, and just other awesome stuff. But uh, so far, all we've talked about is video games, and uh, that's what we will continue to talk about today. So today is March 21st, uh, 2021. That means it is the 20th anniversary of the Game Boy Advance, a very special console. So I think uh, we will start our podcast today uh, talking about this very awesome handheld. And um, I'm going to hand things off to uh, our, our, our special guest, uh, Adam. Hey, everybody. Um, it's great and it's a pleasure to be here as always. Just want to give a quick intro before we all start. Yeah, you can find me out here on Twitter uh, at Adrian Mattis. I am a pixel artist, game designer, game developer, and also international taekwondo fighter. You will have heard of me on this podcast by now. And yeah, if this is your first one, you can find me out on the internet over there. And uh, yeah, so we're talking about the GBA today. I am absolutely in love with this handheld console. It was one of the best things that ever happened to me as a young child back back in the back in the days of 2001. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was great. It came out here on June 22nd, 2001, and at that time again 20 years ago, I was literally like 4 years old by that point. So, I literally had never really, you know, like played anything before. I'd never really been like massively interested in gaming prior. I I'd seen I'd seen video games like as a concept, but I vividly remember we went on holiday that year to um, a place called Lanzarote in Spain, and we got um, a GBA with um, like a bootleg like cartridge of like 64 games in it. Oh, it's nice. one of those old 64 and one type uh, type cartridges, and I'm telling you. I and my, my, I have a younger sister. My younger sister and I, we would spend hours upon hours just taking turns playing, having a great time, sitting by the beach playing, just sitting in the hotel playing. We just, it was like a portal into like another world. And I, I think that was one of the first times in my, you know, young life at that point, barely even, just about barely even being five. Like I'd never really seen games before up close so i'd always seen them for example like friends had them or i'd seen them for example on tvs but like i'd never really had a handheld of my own and yeah its own like you know like without without having an illuminated screen that would come in later with the actual sp but it still felt so so clear do you know what I mean? Like, I'd still be able to look at the screen and be like, oh, wow, like, I can see all the characters, I can see what's going on in the pixel art, I can see what's going on with all of these different, like, game mechanics, and I would get a feel for so many different games. Like, for example, they had, um, I remember vividly playing games like uh, Super Mario um, World, for example. Like, sorry, not Super Mario World, uh, Super Mario Land, sorry. Yeah, that was, again, such a pleasure. Just, like, remembering and seeing all these different, like, pieces of music, playing in these different, like, levels and stages, you know, like, having to fight all these different enemies and get a feel for how the actual controls worked as well. Like, holding the B to sprint, like, A to jump, obviously, but, like, getting a feel for it in your own, like, little hands at the time. It wasn't something that I'd done before, so finding that I could understand these mechanics and then grow a piece of uh, of muscle memory and then grow on that and build on that as time would go by it was um it was absolutely amazing though yeah like anyone else got some really good first um first ever gba memories uh yeah oh. i can i can i can jump in with a really weird one that way i'll completely derail go us um <laughs> go for it but for it. uh so, because it's like you know it's one of those things where um you kind of go back and you think of all the classic ones that I think everyone agrees is like a great game. 
But uh, mm. this kind of goes back to some of my roots and like why I enjoy comics because this is one of those ones where I just like I saw it in a store. Oh, I, 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 I think I mentioned. Uh, or maybe you do. Uh, I saw it, like, um, or I mentioned last uh, podcast or one of them where, like, this is back when they used to be behind the glass at toy stores. Like, that's where you went to get games. Um, so this one is called Spider-Man Mysterio's Menace. <laughs> it is, yes. uh, and also uh, a personal thing that's fun with me is that this is a, actually one of the earlier games by Vicarious Visions, which now in my career I've actually worked on games with Vicarious Visions now. So that, wow. that kind of came full circle, but... I don't know, this is one of those ones where it's just got that comic book looking cover, the classic Spider-Man logo. So I didn't even really care what the game was, but it um it's it's a side scroller, like classic kind of beat 'em up. It's uh I never really did notice I, I I do think it is sprite based, but um it's just it was one of those ones where I, I always have it had the the web swinging from the side, which was super fun at the time. Uh like pretty pretty like well done, but it's just kind of one of those those things where there was something uh, back then about controlling superheroes in this context, and uh, I I heard a thing joking about how a lot of the modern Spider-Man games, like they talk about how it makes you feel like Spider-Man, uh, but yes. now nowadays that's obviously you know there's so many Spider-Man games, but uh, this one I remember he also had like different um, suits you could get and stuff like that, and you know you could do all the things that you would think that a Sp- that Spider-Man could do. You can, web people and swing and whatever and uh i it's like a it's got a got like pretty nice layering on it so i always i just thought it was really enjoyable so that's like whenever i hear game boy advance and i'm like what game boy advance did i have that and i was like all right spider-man materials (laughs) materials menace like i actually think i had sequels too um but i just like this is another one of those ones where just holding the box and that kind of like glossy just like comic book look to it uh was uh was definitely this is the first thing I wanted to get um, before I knew what like the big games were supposed to be. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely, definitely. Oh, it's funny actually fun. that you even mentioned this too. Yeah, like a lot of um, superhero games, a lot of just in general, like the sort of movie tie-in games from that era, like they were very, very specific to like the they, they, that, that a certain they had a certain feel that like really tastes like the time it existed in, if that makes sense. So, mm-hmm. for example, like one game catwoman right there was a catwoman gba game that i absolutely loved and guess who's on the front cover Halle berry like i still have this, I, still, I, I still have this now and yeah like oh, it was a real yeah, thing. reason right there yeah it, it feels like a fever dream at times but here yeah. you were in this little gba isometric world and you were yeah. running around as Halle berry's catwoman just, you know, <laughs> utilizing the whip like like doing all backflips and all kinds of stuff i, I bet that game is better than the movie yeah, yeah, you just posted a screen, and I am shocked by how good-looking the uh, sprites in this game are. This is mm-hmm. a, a nice-looking game. Real, real, real nice quick, city, yeah. this isn't even a tangent, it's just a story that I... Uh, I can't remember, Richmond, if you were there for this, but it was definitely during college. Uh, I think it was us, though, where we watched Catwoman, and we were going to play a oh, drinking dude. game where we were going to drink every time the camera angle changed, and we had to stop, oh, no. like, like not even 20 minutes in. Was that us? I'm trying to remember if you were there yeah, for that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I remember. I was like, wait, I, I was like, I don't think there's a single shot in this movie longer than three seconds. And I actually started counting like one, two, three, cut. One, two, three, cut. One. I was like, oh my god! Did you, like, were you guys? Did you guys stop playing the drinking game before or after the basketball scene? 
Well before. Well before. Okay, good. <laughs> that's, oh, that basketball scene. That, that yeah. scene would do you in. Yeah, if anyone yeah. hasn't heard or seen, or seen this before, just um, in your spare time, if you have any, just uh, go on to YouTube, type in Catwoman basketball scene, and then just hit enter, and <laughs> yeah, you'll be transported right back into the 2000s, my friend. It's quite we, we, we apologize. You won't be able to unremember it. Yeah. But yeah. go on. By all means, the, the anyway, the, the game actually looks pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, it looks shockingly good. It, it yeah. does. One of the one of the coolest things about this game, actually, that I did enjoy, like it's uh, it's utilization of like sort of cinematic type shots, but in an isometric world view. So like they had a lot of really interesting moments where they would like be setting up, you know, Catwoman to be swinging around from like scaffolding and like being able to do backflips off of like random bars that you had to, you know, hold down the R trigger to you know jump from uh, bar to bar, just learning how to be acrobatic in a, in a, in a semi 3d space and then seeing that on a 2d screen obviously all screens like wow. this, but wow. seeing, that, seeing that presented in pixel art this way it was someone really that understood someone that understood color worked on this game what because <laughs> the movie is Definitely. basically black and yellow and orange like uh but this has got <laughs> like blue colored like blue colored shadows it's got like orange bounce light uh, it's got like mm -hmm. different color grading based on the time of day. Like this is the mm -hmm. act. Like yeah. talented artists worked on this. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say like, like you guys have like there's like a shot where there's like you can see color constancy hitting like buildings. Like you can see the temperature of the color in the like that's for 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 a game in this era. That's really shocking. Like mm -hmm. especially for a movie game because usually like it's 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 uh, schlock, you know. <laughs> but, like, yeah, there were some super talented people on this, man. I'm I, telling you. Who, it, who made this game? Um, you know actually, um, right EA now, Games had something to do with it? Maybe well, that's the publisher, right? Yeah. Yeah. The publisher, yeah. Developers here, so the Ma uh, Magic Pockets, Argonaut Games, Electronic Arts, and EA Bright Light. So, oh, that's yeah, that's what, that's what they're listed under. It's a, lot, it's a lot of different hands. It's a lot of different people. Yeah, I, I, I feel like this was sort of an era where... Um, you start seeing uh, game development um, becoming more accessible, right? They start giving out more more uh, development kits to people in different countries, and you mm -hmm. get your like. Uh, th there's a broader wave of developers who grew up loving video games, and they really wanna really wanna prove themselves, right? I, I think there's so many hidden gems during this era because of that. Like I, I had no idea before this podcast today that. That there was such a, a beautiful fucking Catwoman, uh, the movie, uh, a game adaptation. Uh, you know, it, it clearly, like, it, it was just made because, you know, you're supposed to do a video game of every uh, exactly. major Hollywood release. <laughs> like, man, this is way better than it needed to be. <laughs> like, they, they, they really had something to prove. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Oh. The, the music itself was great as well. I still remember, like, in the opening cutscenes, like, it would have this sort of, like, really swelling, dramatic score with some brilliant percussion. Like, I have one of the... I, I literally have one of the, um, the cartridges. I'll send you, like, a picture of it later. But, like, yeah, even the logo itself, like, from the movie, it's on there right away. And you wouldn't think that it would be anything too spectacular, you know, like we just said. A lot of, sort of, movie tying games, they don't always live up to the type of expectation that people go in there for. However, like... 
as we've seen with this, it absolutely speaks for itself in terms of art direction, in terms of understanding of depth and color and light and all types of values and really interesting parts of artistic medium. And yeah, like I think if anyone does like have time or have a GBA, they should seek this game out because it's quite it is quite fun and yeah, it looks beautiful. So I think yeah. this was also one of the uh, I, I don't know if it's not quite a console, right? But uh, this might have been one of the earlier systems to have a, a digital analog converter. Like, uh, previous systems mm -hmm. were probably using more, like, MIDI and stuff like that. So, when you're talking about the, the music being really powerful, I think this is one of the first ones that had direct sound. I don't think it was the first one. I think Nintendo played with it before. But um, I think it would have been capable of pretty, uh, pretty effective um, sound reproduction. Yeah, absolutely. It had it says here it had um yeah dual eight bit DAC for stereo sound or just like direct sound, but yeah, plus all legacy channels from the, the Game Boy prior, and then uh, the DACs could be used to playback streams of like wave data or used to output uh, multiple wave samples like processed in or processed or mixed in software by the CPU. So like this was something that a lot of people like hadn't really seen before in this form. I've have heard a lot of people talk about like the GBA's um, like sound capabilities and stuff, but when it comes to other games that we all you know know and love in different ways, like the Pokemon Ruby Sapphire and Emerald games, like people always talk about the sound. Do you know what I mean? Like and the soundtrack mm -hmm. from that. So yeah, I think there's definitely something to be said about like the the longevity of this for sure. Yeah, it was uh, the Game Boy Advance was technically a 32-bit system, right? I, I think mm -hmm. people tend to think of it as a uh, like portable Super Nintendo, but um, I think it was actually more powerful than the uh, Super Nintendo. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, no, it was. Um, I'm trying to remember all, all the, the specs, but I actually feel like newer systems could learn that. I feel like it had a really long battery life because I used to play it in like car rides and stuff, and um, yeah. it had like a it had something like a like a 20, 12, 20 hour battery life. Like it had a really long battery life, which. Yeah. Like I said, modern devices like my my uh, my phone can't even last for like nine hours. <laughs> mm. yeah, yeah, I just I just put something in here. It says um, like approximately like fifteen hours like on average of like battery life. But like again, it's still it's still great because like, it makes you think about again like how long is like fifteen hours? It's quite a long period of time. I gotta look up, I gotta look up the specs ability, of this thing because I'm I'm curious. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, especially like, with the ability to pop out like batteries like in and out and stuff, it's just two trip two double A's. So I mean, like, again, like they those weren't like massively like expensive. But I mean, like if you got to come in, them in like a large like bulk pack, you could just be there and playing games for hours and hours and hours and hours. Like, and that was a lot of like you know like my own like childhood. It was a really really it was a really great handheld for like the time that it came out, specifically because of this. Like how easily you could just keep on playing for you know multiple hour sessions. Hmm. Wow. You know, it, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just want to talk a bit about, um, I guess, uh, so, so Adam, you, you, you are a pixel artist, right? Indeed. Yeah. Yes, that is your craft. And I, I feel like this must have been instrumental to that, right? Because uh, it came out in 2001. Around that time, mm -hmm. uh, 2D games were not, they were not in vogue on consoles. So mm -hmm. uh, Game Boy Advance was like a bastion for like 2D art. And, uh, it kept pi pixel art alive um, into that mm -hmm. 3D era, right? Because we were already well into the 3D era by the uh, mid to late 90s. Uh, and then this would have been around um, for consoles, uh, the PS2 era. So, you know, PS2 mm -hmm. was all about 3D. There were very few 2D games. And yet, um, you know, Game Boy Advance, like, it was de facto 2D. There, there were some really impressive. Uh, we, we even, 
we talked about in past podcasts about how the PlayStation was explicitly trying to be all about 3D and pushing 2D yeah. games out of the market. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, there, there's one thing in particular I want to focus on. You, you were saying that the graphics were really crisp, right? Like, like, like you had its own. I think uh, that that's that's huge, actually, because when I um, when you think about this era, HDTV was not uh, a standard yet, right? So people were actually still playing on um, standard definition TVs, mostly with like you know composite or something with like a pretty blurry signals. Um, and then you know if if you were on PC, yeah, like you, you had like a, a you know high definition signal to your monitor. But for most console gamers, uh, you got that nice kind of blurred out textured. Um, you know, a CRT uh, look, but then the Game Boy Advance for a lot of people would have been um, the first like time you see super crisp, like full color, rich graphics, sprite graphics in your hand. And I feel like um, I feel like that is the style of sprite graphics that have survived to this day. I, you know, if you look at Steam games and stuff, um, they're all games that look really good with the, the native uh, pixels. And I think if you go to like uh, before the Game Boy Advance to like Super Nintendo, even even like PlayStation Neo Geo, um, those tend to be optimized for like scan lines and those imperfect signals to like sort of break up the pixels. But then Game Boy Advance was like oh, crisp, like you, you see the pixels and they're they're beautiful. Yeah. So I, I I just I would love to hear um, just your thoughts on this and how it influenced you and how it you know made you want to do pixel art in the first place. Absolutely. This is a perfect natural segue because I was just thinking about how I could, you know, portray this and you've just given me the perfect lead in. There are three games that are the reason that I do what I do today. Like I've just written here okay. the base level that map inspirations to me. Like Sonic Advance 3, Golden Sun and Pokemon Fire Red. These are all games that in their own heyday were in their own ways very popular, but they all showed me something about art that I absolutely love and still hold dear to till me to to me today so for example like in terms of sprite um in terms of character design and in terms of character feel sonic advance 3 is one game which just it, it blew me out of the water just seeing the way that the characters could express themselves so freely so that just the way in which they were able to be so emotive and expressive just the colors and seeing them run and seeing them do flips and jumps and tricks in such a smooth like buttery like fashion it was beautiful to me like i really really loved it their emotions and moves here that I've noted in the past and it's just it's just amazing that they were able to convey the motion and the raw speed the kinetic force and the energy so well like there is a there, there are lots of videos online and I just I impress upon everybody like you must you must if you have time go back and watch some Sonic Advance 3 um speed runs or some Sonic Advance 3 gameplay like the sort of rush of kinetic energy that you get in some in some of the first levels for example in that zone one route 99 it's absolutely brilliant it's so crisp, it's so clear. Each one of these zones, they capture the area and they capture an entire sort of flavor and genre so well. They have it so they've got lots of great music in there. They've got lots of great, you know, like artwork, but like the general feel of the areas that you go to when all of these things mesh so well together is brilliant. So that's that's one thing that I just love there. Also in terms of like shader effects as well. Like Sonic Advance 3 again, another beautiful game for you to check out. But leading off from that in terms of you know pushing a, a piece of hardware to the to the limit basically, Golden Sun 1. Like it's absolutely beautiful. 
like in terms of being able to utilize particle effects as well like on a gba are you kidding me like it's just absolutely beautiful like just seeing some of the summons that have that you know utilize like for example there's one summon it's called judgment and again one of my favorite things that i've ever seen it's literally seeing this um this huge summon judgment and it comes down from the sky and it basically fires off this giant like blast of like energy and then that energy blast it, it engulfs the, the the lower world underneath it i'll send in a video real quick but yeah it engulfs the the world below and then it just you know decimates the enemies around you and it's something that really inspired me i actually have a moment that i remember i remember playing golden sun like a long time ago when I must have been about maybe six years old. And I vividly remember I was eating pasta and cheese, my favorite food, out in this <laughs> little like, uh, uh, yeah, out in our little like dining room. I was playing Golden Sun and I used a summon called Now. Like in the world of Golden Sun, there are, you know, numerous types of elements that exist, but they're all mixed in with this thing called Synergy. And Synergy is something that is, uh, it's something that's an effect of uh, these beings called Jinn that exist in the world. So yeah, they have an Earth one, earth is for you know venus um and then you have another one which is for fire which is for which is called mars you have jupiter which is wind and the mercury which is water so obviously you can tell four elements earth fire wind water those all exist there but this venus summon is an earth summon and it is absolutely amazing like these giant um yellow balls of like like plasma like energy they rush and burst onto the screen and then they all explode and then you get a little flashing image of the you know gin that you just utilize to summon and yeah like when i saw that i literally put my gba down and said like that's what i want to do like i want to <laughs> make someone feel like how i just felt like i remember saying that and it's something that's always like stuck with me because like when you see something that is that interesting and cool it makes you reassess like what it is that you've seen like in your own life and i'm sure we all have our own moments of you know childlike wonder and awe i suppose but yeah like everyone has that and it's great to see that other people you know have their own like versions of this but yeah golden sun is just it's a beautiful game and then the last sort of thing which i'll just sort of shoehorn in here very quickly pokemon fire red one of my absolute favorite games of all time and literally well quite literally the reason that i'm here right now talking about games in the first place because it was all i ever did was play that game like just <laughs> non-stop all the time i was the pokemon the pokemon kid in school in around family just in in life i was just always obsessed with it but yeah when you see some of these areas they can feel very plain in a sense but then if you go back and have a look with a sort of you know more well-trained eye the ability to mix and merge so many different color palettes and then make them feel like a homely lived-in world it's brilliant like their ability to show and to express so many different types of character in their npcs so many really crisp and clear trainer sprites so many absolutely amazing bits of like storytelling as well for example like when you go to when you go to um Future City, and you have the uh, you know the 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 wildlife area over there, like the safari zone. Like you have lots of different Pokemon in there, and like you can see all these different kinds that exist in there as well. It's it's really cool just thinking about like how it is that we how is it we grow up with games, and how it is that those games go on to influence us in, later on in life. And yeah, like I can absolutely say that those three games are games that really cultivated a strong sense of taste for me in, in terms of pixel art. And that has definitely been something that stuck with me till today. I've always tried to grow and evolve that. So yeah, those games are beautiful. If you get the chance, do check them out. 
and yeah it's for the betterment of i think everybody's own you know little uh, art taste and their own developing art taste to try and uh, go back sometimes and find something interesting and then look at it with you know fresh eyes or more you know learned eyes it's very important to do yeah oh beautifully put oh man i um i definitely need to play golden so that that was one of the games that got away from me like i i just i heard great things i just haven't um actually sat down and played it so i, I would definitely check that out Definitely. Go for it, go for it, go for it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a beautiful game. One of my best friends, um, Rochelle, he just played this game and I just sort of, you know, was watching him go through it, sometimes doing a little bit of backseat game and you know how that works. But yeah, like <laughs> it was cool. It, it was cool to just watch one of my best friends play one of the best games that I've ever seen. And a game that was really important to me, seeing someone else experience that in a new way. And then, you know, having those like, oh, like sort of like really cool, fun moments with a, yeah. with a friend with, that you love. It's just, yeah, it, it's brilliant. So it, it's well worth the time. Anyone, if you can, find a Golden Sun and yeah, definitely give it a shot. It's worth your time. Yeah. Oh, man. I just, just want to give a quick shout out to the uh, one of the main artists behind Golden Sun is uh, Hiroshi uh, Kajiyama, he he actually uh, passed away several years, uh, a couple years ago, 2018. Uh, re really amazing artist. Um, he was very active online. He had like a cool, you know, website, and uh, he 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 was a veteran artist for for games. He worked on like the uh, Shining Force series, which I, I imagine were a big inspiration for uh, Golden Sun, uh, with sort of the, the art style, even the, um, the 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 presentation style was very similar. But yeah, mm. uh, it, uh, please look him up. Uh, Hiroshi Kajiyama is an excellent artist. Um, he, whew, yeah, really good artist. I remember after he passed away, his, his uh, son went on Twitter and just like thanked all his fans and just let everyone know that he, you know, dude, dude led a good life and he was really, you know, happy to, to work on all these games. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, rest in peace, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I must say as well, like, um, in terms of like the developed games for um, for for Camelot uh, software planning as well, like they actually worked on that Shining series on the Shining um, Shining oh. Force games. Yeah, oh, yeah. It, they, they, it's a Camelot game. Yeah, yeah, it is indeed. Yeah, so all of the Shining, um, you know, the Shining series from you know back in 1991 to Shining in the Darkness through to you know um, Shining the Holy Ark in 1996, going through oh, to Shining Force in 97. And then we go forward into 2001, and that's Golden Sun. And then 2002, a year later, um, Golden Sun: The Lost Age. Yeah. Oh, really, really cool. I did not know that. I got chills right now, dude. I, yeah, yeah, I yeah. didn't know that. This, this was the evolution of the Shining Force game. Absolutely. I, okay. Absolutely. I, I, I absolutely will track this game down and play it for sure. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. It, it, this is like this is like my area of like when James talks about like fighting games like Golden Sun's like my life like it's like it's like my like thing I love it so much so like okay. yeah someone that doesn't like know it's like I want to just download okay. all this information on them yeah, but yeah. We'll, we'll, I, there'll I will, be a time to play I, I will play it I'll play it we'll we'll come back to it we'll devote a full podcast to that I would love to do that yeah. that'd be great sounds fantastic okay um all right I I, I would like to recommend a a, a hidden gem uh, that I really enjoyed for Game Boy Advance. I, I, I think that's sort of the theme today. Um, so I, one of my favorite Game Boy Advance games, um, not not the most famous game, but but it is uh, deeply related to stuff we've been talking about. We've, we've been talking about uh, sort of licensed games and how this was an era of like just unusually good 
licensed games because historically they don't need to be good, right? Like you're a fan, you'll buy it. Like you, you just go to, you know, put in minimal effort. But uh, okay, I, I love this game, Dragon Ball Advance Adventure. <laughs> like, one of my favorite Game Boy Advance games. I, I bought oh, it on a whim. So just fun. Because I'm like, hmm. like, oh, I love Dragon Ball. You know, like I, I grew up on Dragon Ball. Like I, I, I um, when I was like a little kid in Thailand, like. My dad bought me Dragon Ball, the comic. Like, I didn't even know what it was. My dad introduced me to it because he was like, oh, that's like, uh, that's Song Wukla. That's Journey to the West. I know what that is. I'll buy that for my kid. And I, I, I fell in love with it. So I, I've been reading it since it was Dragon Ball, Kid Goku. And then one day uh, when, uh, when, when Sean and James and I were all in, in college together, I, I, I saw this game on the shelf out of nowhere. I was like, oh, this looks cool. And I, I bought it. And um, it was shockingly good. I was like, holy moly, like, this is the best Dragon Ball game I've ever played, you know, because, like, they really put into effort into it. And, by the way, it was it was developed by Dimps, uh, the same developers as Sonic Advance 3. Um, Dimps is one of those, like, really good, like, low-key low good developers. And uh, they're sort of, like, the, the, the go-to guys when you want to do a licensed game that actually has heart because like dragon ball advanced adventure um well number one it's just beautiful it has some of the best sprite art i've ever seen i think it's if you want to see like beautiful game boy advanced era sprite art like pop in this game because it, it is it's beautifully animated and um, every single frame is also, also just really elegantly like dotted you know like pixel by pixel but also like the way it plays is so fun <laughs> like, <laughs> it's uh you run around you're, you're kid goku you know so it's not like you're not uh insane power levels or anything like that. it's it's sort of like a it's halfway like a brawler and halfway like a platformer you know and it's wow. um it's just really satisfying I, the only way i can describe it is like you don't just feel like you're you're, you're doing combos you feel like you're mauling people <laughs> like goku <laughs> just like goes to town on these enemies and um it has yeah, an amazing can, sense of momentum too. Like you really yeah. feel like you're moving forward yeah, the whole time. Like yeah, yeah it's yeah. super smooth. Yeah, and it's um it's got some like simple juggling mechanics and like some 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 crowd control mechanics. So you sort of like combo people and then like direct them into another wave of enemies, continue your combo and stuff. But but also like it's just made with so much love for the source material. Like it, it takes you through um, you know like all the major arcs of the the original. Uh, Dragon Ball, you know, Kid Goku comics up through like uh, his fight with King Piccolo, and um, so so that part's great. But then on top of that, you know, so it's normally like a single player game, right? Single player action platformer. But then um, you you unlock characters for like a fighting game mode. So there's actually like I think like over twenty or thirty playable characters. Eventually, they made like a separate fighting game mode, and it's. Just really lovingly made it like it, it's a su surprisingly good game um and and just like it came out of nowhere for me because I, I i had no idea just saw it on the shelf one day and it, it, yeah really really pleasant surprise i i would like to tell a, a story from me and richmond's past that will both delight surprise and disappoint our listeners but it's directly related to this game. Richmond, you may know which story I'm going to tell, but I feel like it needs to be told, especially now that it's this far. So back when me and Richmond had our company, we were doing game stuff. 
And mm -hmm. there was a time, and Richmond, I, I, I'm sure you remember this, or maybe you don't. We actually were talking to Brian Jocks of Redwall fame, and we were pitching to do a game that was basically Dragon Ball Advance Adventure, but Redwall, which... If you know anything about the Redwall series, in your mind, this is the disappointing part. It would have been amazing. Yes. But Brian Jacques, at the time, and uh, he's since passed away, unfortunately, was always fervently against Redwall being converted into games. And we were uh, unable to convince him and his agent that this was worth doing. But I felt like we got very close. And to this day, the concept of how good this game feels and how lovingly it's put together. Like, just a ma like, and also there are characters in this game that Son Goku fights that are kind of Redwall-esque. Like, they're not, they're not quite oh, animals. Dude, they're all like, yeah, there's so many animals. This was back when Dragon Ball was, like, you know, like mostly anthropomorphic, uh, you, know, uh, you know, people. Yeah. yeah. And that's where we got the idea to some degree. Um, and to yeah. this day, I, it's one of the things that, like, not, it's not, not quite a regret, but I really wish we could have made it because it would have been such a fantastic oh, realization of Redwall. It would have been so fun. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Redwall, just absolutely beautiful IP overall. It's one of my favorite. Oh, yeah. One of my, one of my old favorites for sure. There's a, there was a book, um, Redwall and the Pearls of Lutra, and I used to read it oh. so, yeah, so, yeah, so yeah. many times. And it was yeah. great. I took it from my, from my um, school library as a, as a little kid. And I actually, yeah, I actually asked them because like, they, they they would ask like, okay, hey, where's this book? And they they would see that I'd read it so much. We have like a, <laughs> obviously we have, we have primary school here, so that's like elementary school for like you know yeah. for the uh, Americans listening. But I must have been like maybe eight or maybe nine. But like I love this book so much that they were like, you know what, just have the book. And I was like, really? And they're like, yeah. I was like, I'll just read this book like again and again and again. And like no one else was like taking it out. No one else was really reading it. It was just like it was like my book. Do you know what I mean? I'll just take uh, it everywhere with me. I would. Do, I yeah. still have it in my house actually. But yeah, like it's it's great. It's such a great story with the yeah. anthropomorphic animals and stuff. But just deciding really quickly as well with the story. Um, there is this other game called um, Dragon Ball Z Supersonic Warriors, and it is mm -hmm. very very similar to what it is that Richmond has been describing. It's a beautiful game with this really. I forget what you call it again. But like it's um it's a it's a type of like parallax like background, but like it's all flat. Seven. But it feels really mode seven. Mode seven that's what it's called it. Mode <laughs> yeah. seven. I, did, I knew it was some, I knew it was something seven, but I was like mode seven, like yeah. something seven. Yeah, yeah mode yeah. seven. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yes, mode seven background, really really beautiful sweeping vast oh, landscapes, God, yeah. and one cool thing that yeah, that existed in this game. So do you know how in for example Dragon Ball Fighters we have like you know you can punch people through these through these big um, rock formations and then you transition into the next stage. Like this game, it had a version of that. It had a game where if you did a combo on somebody and you ended it a certain way, you could punch someone and they'd fly through the air, they'd fly you know past the camera, and then they'd fly through this big formation of rocks and it would all come crumbling down. And then you would, you know, get to fight the next person. It was, it was really, really cool. I'll try and find like yeah. a video of it. Perhaps it can be turned turned into a I, GIF for the podcast. But yeah, it's great. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a bit of relevant trivia there. So that was building off of the uh, Dragon Ball uh, fighting games, the Tenkaichi Budokai games for the for the Super Famicom. Uh, mm -hmm. In those games, um, you could do a secret attack uh, called the Medio attack. And the input was always uh, forward, back, down, up, and attack. And if you were able to land that, you would do the equivalent of a uh, super move. And, and you would like combo them and then hit them, and then they would fly through a, a rock formation. 
and you know that's it, it. yeah like the most exciting thing that's yeah. it yeah, even if just like just this 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 intro part here, like in terms of the uh, the feel of the show, right? Like you 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 you're flying over the ocean, you see the Dragon Balls hovering over the logo. It's got those beautiful, um, you know, classic sort of they're almost like screeches in a sense, but like they, they, it's like you know when something shines or glistens in an anime and it makes that kind of, it makes that noise. Like you hear that a lot whilst the whilst the Dragon Balls like flowing above. And yeah, like it just feels like you're one of the characters, you know, flying over the ocean, getting ready to fight. It's so, it's so great. Yeah. You know, it's great uh, is like, as someone who didn't even know this game existed, but was a big fan of uh, the Ban Presto arcade game that came out a mm -hmm. long, long time ago, uh, seeing something like this being done on a portable and having so much heart uh, put into, you know, how these characters are animated. Uh, I mean, this looks like something that I, I would actually go back and play now. Uh, even though we had DBZ Fighters and all of these things, like there's something about uh, seeing the dedication that people have for uh, pixel art. Uh, there, there's like an yeah. emotional texture there that mm -hmm. I still enjoy. And don't get me wrong, I mean, I love Guilty Gear Drive, I love everything that Arxis does, uh, but I still have such a strong love for when you know dots can come together like this and create this kind of like love language for video games you know where it's just like if there is a feel that will never really be replicated in this sort of genre and uh man like this this looks amazing uh just these cinematic well, scenes are just oh these are glorious it's funny you mentioned strive because the developer of dragon ball c supersonic warriors was arc system works well there you wait. go wait Wow, really? I didn't even know this, really? Wow. Yes. They have been yes. in business wow. for a long time. <laughs> That's yeah. amazing. Oh, wow. I'm I'll so play not No wonder this speaks to me in a certain way. Yeah. It's like... Right? It make you actually blow my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. actually like the fourth series I've heard all day. That's so cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, they, um, they put a lot of love into that game. Like, uh, if, uh, folks, if you if you look up a video of it, Dragon Ball Supersonic Warriors for the Game Boy Advance, it, it's a sprite-based game, but, like, um, the, the main mode of uh, movement is flying. So that, that mm -hmm. means you, you, you're constantly circling around your opponent, which also means, like, they drew the sprite from multiple angles. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. It's not a 3D game. It's just they just kept animating it depending on what angle you're at. So that, that's just an insane amount of labor to, you know, it's it's it was a labor of love like they didn't have to go that hard but they did and um i feel like that's sort of something that defined that that era like uh i feel like maybe in the even in the super nintendo playstation era like you could be kind of lazy if you landed like a license because you're like hey you know people are gonna buy it anyways right like i already got this but like by the time you get to the game boy advance era it's like you got you got all these new hungry uh, young developers. They gotta prove themselves, you know. Like every chance they get, they're like, okay, like we gotta show off what we can do. And that, that's why, like, there's so many cool games that like you wouldn't think they'd, they'd be great, and then you play it, and you're like, whoa, this is this is pretty good. <laughs> like this is way better totally. than I thought it would be. Yeah. Absolutely. It, it seemed to be that way as well at the time, because I'm just having a look at some like old review scores right now. And it seems like they've been really quite favorable. Like 
they were getting what like um game rankings gave it 73 percent uh, metacritic at the time gave it 73 out of 100 like i'm looking yeah. over here and like, it's got quite a lot of like um sevens uh quite a few there's an eight here like four yeah. four out of them um, five stars yeah full of three and a half stars out of five Fuck. um 70 another 73 here like 7.5 7.5 out of 10 from IGN, like, so at the time, like, it wasn't, like, it wasn't horrible, like, it was something that people were, you know, actively, like, hey, this, like, this isn't too bad, this is yeah. pretty cool, but yeah. But you know, the, the, um, the, I think the joke at the time for, for in Japan for Famitsu was, like, the, the truly great games actually averaged seven, <laughs> because, like, mm. they're gonna, like, <laughs> overrate some games, you know, some games are actually bad, but, like, seven is that sweet spot where it's, like, actually, like, a super interesting game. And mm-hmm. um, according to a quick Google search for Dragon Ball Z, uh, Supersonic Warriors from Famitsu was 29 out of 40. So that means three sevens and an eight. <laughs> okay. Yeah. If I, 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 is that correct? Did I do the correct math? Mm-hmm. I think I should be okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yes, yes, yes. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, there, there is a... Um... Oh, oh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Hmm, what's that? Oh, am I, am I going? Oh, yeah, yeah, Sean's going in, Sean's going in, it's cool. Oh, um, are, are we doing that? Because I, I was going to go on a, it's not a tangent, but it is sort of a tangent, so, but. Go uh, for it, go for it. Okay, so uh, I actually didn't realize this fully, but um, one of like, one thing I, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about is, like, uh, this is sort of related to Nintendo's internal studios that I think, do not get a, enough love. Uh, by which I mean, I think most people nowadays like know certain developers. Like people know who like Naughty Dog is and like Infinity Ward, right? But um, I feel like Nintendo games come out, especially on things like the Advance, and you don't really ever know the people's names or the studios. You just kind of imagine that like the bot, the, the you know the giants of the giant magic of Nintendo just happened under their roof, um, mm-hmm. and then it and then it just became. Uh, history, but what I what I'm what I really think is that so the reason this relates to advance is there is a game that's not a hidden gem, but it has a lot of history that makes it a hidden gem that you can follow all the way to today. Uh, so this this thing I, I I come across actually a few years ago when I was uh, getting into Fire Emblem. So we're not going to talk about Fire Emblem per se, but um, so there is a a company that is part of Nintendo now called Intelligent Systems. Uh, they have been making games for Nintendo since forever, like the '80s. Um, and now you're y'all gonna see, start with this, where this is going. But they're, the founder of the studio was actually originally hired by Nintendo to port uh, basically Famicom uh, to the standard ROM cartridge, cartridge format for Nintendo. But he was a programmer that worked on like Mario and Duck Hunt and Donkey Kong, like all the most classic Nintendo games. But he started in 19, uh, I believe, 88 or 86. 86. Uh, I should look that up. Um, and he programmed himself the game Famicom Wars. Um, at the same, it, within the same year or the year after, he also programmed the first Fire Emblem game. Uh, I believe it was Blade of Light. Um, did it himself. I believe his name was uh, uh, Narhiro. And anyway, he. So the the lineage continues. So of course. One of the best versions of... So Famicom Wars, if you all are not familiar, is a strategy game. One of the first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Richmond already sees the where I'm going with this. but yeah, yeah. So 
it eventually there was a Super Famicom. So Super Famicom is, is effectively kind of the precursor to SNES. So there was a Super Famicom Wars that was really beautiful even for its time. Um, and this team, Intelligent Systems, they weren't called that back then. I think they were just called like Nintendo R&D One or something. Uh, they had a really boring name, <laughs> anyway. Uh, but this Super Famicom Wars was on the eight-bit Nintendo. It was not actually on the Super Famicom. Yep, yeah. It was. It was eventually ported to Super Nintendo. But yes, you're right. The original one was not. Uh, anyway, and this like this. So this this developer, these guys, it, it was a very small team for a while. Uh, they're also super well known just to start kind of showing everybody like uh, basically they make Paper Mario, they make WarioWare. Uh, and they make Fire Emblem, among other ones. But the one thing that they are also famous for is what's now called the Wars series. Um, and one of my favorite games on the Advance that to this day you can play, uh, you know, sequels and versions of. But to me, like, one of the quintessential versions is Advance Wars. Uh, I, I think it's, like, one of the most uh, iconic uh, sprite graphic looking games that I can think of and I, I just think the story is so cool we talk a lot on the show about how like you can see people's careers traverse through like different systems and what I love of, about um, Nar Hero that we're talking is he hasn't st- stopped making games the, the studio they made Fire Emblem Three Houses they made uh, Paper Mario uh, they made Fire Emblem Heroes like so you you can go back and play Advance Wars which is still one of the best like I think turn based strategy games uh, where it's kind of the army-based turn-based strategy game. Like, they really uh, crafted that style, and it's branched off and created so many different... Um, but, but, like, it was just kind of, to me, so so interesting, the fact that you can kind of... Uh, you can go back to, like, the 80s, and you can play um, a game, and you can see it evolving from the 80s until now through Intelligent Systems' work. And, it, like I said, it's not just the War series. It's... Paper Mario is where you were, but for me, like, Advance Wars was always so special, and I was not surprised, but delighted to learn that, like, one of, like, Nintendo's internal programmers and teams has been behind these games the whole time, and I think most people just don't know about them. Um, Like, you know, you just think Nintendo did it. You don't know about these people that are behind it, and anyway, to me, it was was super cool, especially that, I mean, I think the last game they produced was 2020, so, I mean, this, this studio... All the way back to the 80s is still going strong, and they are producing some of the most iconic Nintendo games that we can think of. So I just thought it was super cool, and I didn't even talk about the game yet. I just uh, super one of my favorite games uh, ever. Wow, wow! I, yeah, I didn't realize it, um, they went back that that far. Yeah. Oh my God, they made Duck Hunt, dude. <laughs> yeah. That's yes. Easy. What? Uh, the impressive thing about uh, uh, about the Famicom Wars thing and why I, I chose to start there is that yeah. the, the head of the studio, Nar Hero, he programmed it himself. <laughs> like, wow. talk talk about leading by example, right? I think he also programmed the first Fire Emblem, too. Like, just by himself. And this was, like, at the end of the Famicom, wow. I think. Yeah, in, like, the uh, 80s. I, uh, real quick, I just want to correct myself. Super Famicom Wars was, in fact, for the Super Famicom. I, I got confused because it was for the weird um, uh, satellite uh, thing that they set up. They they had a very bizarre um, uh, system where you could like download games via satellite. Uh, so a, that that one was really obscure. Like it was not widely uh, available. But, but but there was a there was a separate Famicom system prior to SNES in terms yeah, of like what, yeah, what yeah, it yeah. Is. the first one was was uh, Famicom Wars, 
Yeah, that, that looks like that was the first strategy game that they, they made, actually. Because up until that, they had been doing, um, you know, like, like action games and stuff. And then that definitely, like, uh, changed their destiny. Because that, that led to, like, uh, you know, Fire Emblem, uh, the, the, the Mario, um, the Paper Mario RPGs, you know. And, and for, for me, oh, my gosh, like... Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Advance Wars is like one of the iconic Game Boy Advance games, and and also one of the defining sprite art games, right? Absolutely. I, I would say that, um, and I don't know how the timing works out, but um, one of, and I, I will definitely post this on Twitter later because there's all sorts of art that was done for Famicom Wars as well as Advance Wars, and they're one of the ones very similar. And I don't know if it influenced Metal Slug or not, but the style is very similar. Like, and. I, I would describe, uh, I posted one in our chat, I think, Richmond, this will resonate with you because of Zeka Tactics, but I feel like this really? is one of the first ones that kind of combined this, like, almost Ghibli-esque approach to color and style, but still mm -hmm. treated it as a military subject. I, okay, man, uh, quick, yeah, oh, James, you want to you wanna oh, comment on Like, I'm looking, I think I'm gonna, it's going to be an easy segue to what you're probably going to talk about. Uh, because that was the thing that was most striking to me was I'm mesmerized by the overall presentation of this art for the game. But man, when you look at these painted backgrounds, there's so much like just warm sort of like welcoming like feels that are very Ghibli. But then you look at it and it's like a military subject. And I that that's something that it's like. I'm sure I've seen this before, but like it's it's like punching me in the face. Like just how the synergy between these two things like just works super well. Um, man, like I'm really blown away by uh, the, the the presentation of this this art and even the game itself. Like there's a lot of just a lot of heart in uh, the sprite work, and I just it's something that regardless of how much uh, you know we move forward in terms of uh, you know, 3D being able to create that 2D nuance, uh, this stuff still will have, like, a, a special place in my heart. Mm. Yeah. I, Absolutely. I, I, I just want to comment um, on what Sean said about the relationship between... Um, so, you know, Advance Wars is one of the, the great sprite art games. I mean, it's, it's a strategy game. It's got lots of military vehicles. And, um, you know, it's, it's also very reminiscent of Metal Slug. Um, I think Metal Slug predates uh, Advance Wars, but of course the Famicom Wars and Super Famicom Wars both predate Metal Slug. And those do have like a very Ghibli-esque uh, aesthetic to them, especially Super Famicom Wars, which shockingly like looks so much like Advance Wars. I, I actually had never seen this before, um, and I think where what 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 that series shares with Metal Slug is I, I think they're both really influenced by. Um, not any particular Ghibli piece, but rather a series of comics by Hayao Miyazaki called Tigers in the Mud. And uh, it was a series of comics that uh, Miyazaki himself illustrated and uh, serialized in uh, Model Graphics Magazine. So that, that was a magazine dedicated to, you know, like uh, uh, model kits and like the, the, the history of like building a replica of vehicles and stuff. That, that's that's a, 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 a very old hobby predating video games and such. And uh, Miyazaki's always been a um, military realistic mecha fanatic. Um, in fact, I, I think his family actually 
uh, helped produce wings for the Zero Bomber during World War II uh, when he was like super young. Um, so, the, yeah. but uh, so he he's always had a weird relationship with that because he hates war, but he also like loves military vehicles. Um, and then he did a series of comics um, called Tigers in the Mud, which is an anthropomorphized um, accounts of the memoirs of Otto Carius, a, a tank commander. And it's uh, it's this really gritty series of comics. He, he gets into like just how, uh, you know, the nitty gritty of like how ugly tank warfare was back then. But then like instead of people, they're like uh, kind of cute looking pigs. So it was like a precursor to uh, Port too. But uh, if, yeah, if you look at those comics, Tigers in the Mud, they're, they're really beautifully drawn. Like they're, they're watercolor and ink. And they have these amazing vehicles, 100% inspired Metal Slug and Advanced Wars. And I'm 100% sure of that. That's yeah. so cool. I, I can also to look into that as well. Yeah. Uh, I was, I was going to add, like, the, the thing that, that I love also about... Um, so, so even though we were kind of talking a lot about Super Famicom Wars, I really do think that Advanced Wars was when this style of game started to get a bit more mainstream, not mainstream, but a bit more exposure because uh, there's a part of the story which I don't know the whole context of, but it was never intended to be released outside of Japan. Um, I think they just thought American audiences weren't wouldn't be interested, but I, I'm fairly confident that uh, Advanced Wars also led to the inclusion of the strategy battle system in games like Shrikoden um, because those were also being developed around, um, around the 2000s. And obviously, Super Famicom Wars existed, so uh, mm. but but this was a really much a, a polish of it. And uh, last thing I'll say for anyone, like obviously, there's uh, a many new Advance Wars games now, but if you don't want to play the kind of military modern style, there is an indie game on Switch that I uh, just played like basically in a couple sittings uh, called Wargroove, and it is one thousand <laughs> percent. Uh, in, like they've been impacted heavily by Advanced Wars and their aesthetic. Except this one's a, got uh, a bit yeah. more humor, and it takes place in a fantasy element. Uh, it's got a, a, a dog character, which is one of my favorite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. one of my favorite. Like, it's not even. It, yeah. It's not an anthropomorphized dog. It's just a dog. <laughs> but you can command the dog. It it uh, there's a whole side message where you're the dog. I forget the dog's name, but anyway, the. I loved Advance Wars, and I love the style of game. Like, I even have a, a guilty admission to make, which is that back when Facebook games were pretty big, I really didn't play a lot of them, even though I worked on them. But there was one, and I'm even blanking on the name, but uh, one that actually got me to play a lot and spend money was a game that was basically Advance Wars. Uh, and it just, it just like, broke through my armor of, like, I don't care about playing Facebook games and all the, playing all the games. I just, I love this, this, like, style so much of, like, the, the tactical movement, like, the really, like, beautiful kind of animation. Um, but, like, so there's something about it that I think really resonates throughout the industry. There's a lot of influences that you can see branch off of this. But, um, to me, like, Advance Wars on the Game Boy Advance was when, this really started to, I think, make its way into the overall zeitgeist. Like, because uh, it was also the first time. Not that they didn't achieve it on Super Famicom, because it looks fantastic on uh, on SNES. But uh, just this this kind of uh, pulling off this cartoony, kind of softer art style with that Ghibli aesthetic, but for a serious subject, uh, I think was something that you know doesn't. It, it kind of hits you hard. Like you don't expect to see it on a, a you know a handheld like the Advance. So. For me, it's not yeah. quite hidden. It's pretty well known, but I, if you haven't 
played any of these games or picked it up, like I highly recommend it. It's such a good series, and also like anything that, that Intelligent Systems does is so delightful, so so well crafted. Uh, just like, and you, you'll start seeing the through lines now. Just like the style of Fire Emblem, the style of Paper, Paper Mario, the style through Advance Wars, like so that, that kind of delightful Ghibli esque style. It, they still maintain it to this day. It's it's so cool. So anyway. Yeah, I just want to give like a quick like shout out to my boy Konzi, uh, who worked on this game actually. Yeah, like it's kind of wild to uh, see and hear how so really? many different people like love it. Yeah, that's so he's one cool, of the, man. I know he's, he's one of the um, one of the pixel artists like on um, on Wargroove, and yeah, like really really good. They also had he'd also you know worked with um, Rocket Cat Games on a game called Death Road to Canada. Which is yeah, it's it's kind of like a zombies um, meets like sort of top-down pixel art, kind of a little bit of um, like Dead Rising type vibes as well in there. But yeah, definitely check out a lot of their prior works as well. But yeah, it's so cool just to hear that that Wargroove you know took so many people in so many good ways. Like it was great to see that game come out and you know get such good uh, amounts of recognition. The sprites again were beautiful and they were so lovingly handcrafted and animated. And yeah, if if you'd like actually, just go um check out my buddy. Uh it's just a at C O N Z E I T. Yeah, like you'll you'll see a whole bunch of really cool people on there and it's a uh, it's really, really cool just seeing that so many people loved it. Like I got another book. I've got another good friend of mine called Lou Nascimento. Yeah, she is someone that I worked with a, a while ago on a fundraiser, and she also worked on Warmove too. Yeah, she's a really great pixel artist. You should definitely check her out. She's uh, um, at uh, V I I O L A C E U S, like at Violacious. So on Twitter, she's just brilliant. She's a beautiful uh, artist who does great work. She's uh, all of her work is amazing and. Yeah, just really, really cool person all around. You guys should definitely check these people out if you want some good pixel art vibes on your timeline. So, just gonna yeah, you know, yeah. plug my friends in there really quickly because have to. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's that's what it's about. I, I just followed them both. Wow, great work, beautiful yeah, if work. You cool. them, tell, yeah, if you follow them, tell them Adam sent you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've got one more thing to sort of share really very quickly actually. Whilst we've been speaking. I was having a little bit of a dig through um, some Sonic Advance related things, right? And we were talking, we love fighting games on this podcast, as we already know. But check it out. I just found something else, something else really interesting. So, in this game, Sonic Advance, you have some motions and you've got some moments where you can celebrate oh after, you've done, after oh. you've done a round, right? And yeah. I found out that if you actually look, there are different motions that each character does. So Sonic, he has a celebratory move where he kind of does a move where he, it's kind of like breakdancing, where he goes upwards and it looks like a rising tackle. Hopefully I can, <laughs> I can yeah, ho- hopefully I can get Richmond in them to post this, but yeah, like you'll see mm-hmm. the absolute influences That's here awesome. depending on, yeah, depending on how you sort of like look at the sprites, but there's another yeah. one with Knuckles and he has like a Shoryuken type punch that he does and it's got like fire coming off it and stuff. And it, he oh. even turns in a similar way to the way that Ken does in Third Strike, so That's yeah. unmistakable. The red color, the burning fist, that thing. <laughs> yeah. Very directly a, a Ken Masters reference, and yeah, if that's the Ken Masters reference, Sonic's is definitely a Terry Bogard reference. That's so cool. <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah, it, it's really really cool. It's one of the things which I spoke about with a couple of friends of mine like recently. And then whilst we've just been speaking, I just put this together, like hacked it <laughs> together really oh, quick you, just to make sure. You just put that together. Yeah, yeah, just now. We're definitely going to tweet that out. Yeah. 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 Thanks. 
it, it, it's it's super cool as well because like I, one of the things that I love is that people put so much time and care into you know like getting the sprites from these games and then just making sure that we have access to them so we can you know learn from them so that we can you know break them down in different ways so especially as a, as a pixel artist myself I take a lot of like pride in being able to notice and recognize certain things like this so I'm glad that other people have you know been able to see that you know this, that these things exist that people put so much care yeah. into pixel art as a medium because especially since we're talking about the gba today and to all the pixel artists out there that are listening like what are you doing it's valid it's beautiful and you should keep going and keep trying to push the medium and trying to you know express yourself however you like go go, go for it it's great to see pixel art all the time and as we've been speaking about with these games yeah it's it's uh, it stands the test of time and it's very lovingly crafted yeah. and if you make something that's lovingly crafted people will talk about it for years to come so it's not an invalid that's art form at all very cool. Yeah. Small very, world. Very cool. Yeah. Super small, right? It's crazy. Oh, I've got wait, wait, one last, like, super small thing, actually. Okay, so there's one, like, hidden gem that I wanted to speak about very briefly. It's a game called Sigma Star Saga. It is a game where there's a militaristic sort of um, overthrowing of, of, of Earth, and it, basically aliens invade. And you are a you are a soldier who's tasked with becoming a double agent. You're called Ian Wrecker, and there's this army called the Krill. They invade Earth, and it's up to you to try and you know join their ranks and then sort of you know become a double agent in a sense and sort of betray them at some stage, it's just so that you can you know work for the, uh, the the good of humanity. I'll say. But yeah, it's a beautiful game, and it was created by some friends of ours, Richmond. It's created by the people at Way Forward years ago, and we happen to know somebody. Yeah and, yeah, and we happen to know somebody well. who works with Way Forward <laughs> right now. So I was wondering if we could mention this person and start going like there a little bit. But we have a friend called Bannon Rudis. Bannon is an amazing person. He yeah. is a director, artist, and designer at Way Forward right now. And yeah, if anyone does love any of Way Forward's games, which I'm sure many of you do, because they have plenty of great ones, yeah, you should definitely go give them some of your attention give them a follow give them some support because they're always coming up with beautiful new things and awesome awesome pixel art over there awesome yeah. artists overall in general but they've been you know working on the shantae series they have some absolutely beautiful work with um risky revenge like it's 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 amazing just to see and hear and know that a studio that i have a connection to now in, in some sense was working on something that i was so impressed by so many years ago so if you'd like, go check out Sigma Star Saga and also go give Ban and Rudis a follow on, on Twitter because super cool dude. Just type in just B-A-N-N-O-N, just R-U-D-I-S. Go give him a shout out. Go say hi. Super cool, the, super cool dude. Yeah. And Richmond has some personal interactions with him too. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Amazing artist. He, he's a great pro wrestler as well. He's a True. really interesting guy. Yeah. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah, I've done plenty of work with the WayForward team. They're, they're, they're really great people very very passionate and uh, i think it's so cool how they've kept uh, the flame alive for the, this this style of art for, for so long i mean the first shantae game was uh, i think on the game boy color and they've, mm -hmm. they've been continuing that series up till today i think the last shantae came out last year um you know um mm -hmm. yeah yeah they, they, amazing very very passionate like they're, they're really in it for the love of uh, games awesome people to work with Totally, totally. Right, that should bring us through to like our next like topic of conversation overall, which is just hidden gems. So now we can kind of yeah. like open the gates yeah. and talk about the gems which are hidden. So yeah. you guys go ahead. Who are we gonna have first? James, take it away, James. <laughs> 
Well, uh, yeah, I. You've been I charging, a... charging that laser. Let's 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 go. Let's go. Just giving him all of his, we've just been giving him all of our energy, right? He's been stood there with his hands up. Like, <laughs> so when it comes to, to hidden gems, uh, you know, this one is a specifically interesting one for me, uh, mainly because the the era of GBA, like I saw it, right? But I was so transfixed on like playing competitively and fighting games that like I missed a lot of things until like. I kind of came out of it and was like, oh my gosh, wow, these are really cool games that I've never played. And like, some of them I played, some of them I didn't. But this one was something that I actually did play. Um, and then it was actually, I think it was, I was in college when I when I first saw it. Um, it was a roommate of mine, a DJ, uh, actually was playing it. It was a Naruto game. I think it was called oh. Clash of the Ninja. Uh, it's a Gekito Tyson uh Naruto game. I believe it was the fourth installment. Um, and what was really cool to me about this game was you saw companies starting to say, okay, we've got 3D games where we've mastered sort of this like pseudo photorealistic aspect. Uh, we're kind of delving into expressing ourselves a little bit differently in terms of like taking animation nuance and putting them in 3D. So, you know, you had uh, a lot of different games trying to figure out like how to do it. Um, but this game in particular, for me, was like the first time that I started to see uh, cell shaded 3D models that looked closer to, I guess, like a, a more pronounced, I guess, like drawn uh, sort of sensibility, like hand drawn. Um, obviously, with a little bit of mathematical shapes that you still saw in it, but they looked more like, oh, this looks like a Naruto show in 3D, and. You know, I was kind of like taken taken by it. Um, it came out in, I believe, it came out in 2005, actually. But I saw it a little bit after that. But it came out in 2005. Um, the, the, the first one came out in 2003. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The fourth one came out in like 2005. So they had like a few installments and maybe some special editions that came out on the Wii and the GameCube. But uh, what was really cool about it was that the the game's, I guess, screen was very close and you had like a you know certain stages were a little bit larger than others but where the camera was fixated was extremely close so it wasn't like a game where you felt like uh from the beginning you could like space people out and like kind of like keep people away from you like the camera would expand at some point and zoom out but the game initially had this very close uh camera and you could move before the fight started, so like you could kind of like jockey for position, um, which is something that you could do in Marvel vs. Capcom 2 a little bit, but in this game it allowed you to move a little bit more before like the fight actually started, which created a different type of uh, excitement. And the playstyle of the game um, was just really different. Uh, you know, you, you, it wasn't like you had uh, a set of punches and a set of kicks. You had like attacks, you had projectiles, and um, you know, you had moves that were similar to what you could do in the show in terms of teleporting. Um, so how you controlled space was a lot different. So the game, like, made me ask a lot of different questions about, like, how to approach, like, playing games. I was like, wow, this is really cool. Um, but I didn't own it. You know, I only played it when I was around, like, a few of my friends. And, you know, at first I was like, my God, everybody does so much damage in this game. Like, this is really scary. Um, but I just remember being like, man, this is a really... Uh, cool game, and I didn't get a chance to play too much of it, and I didn't hear too many people talking about it. I heard people talking more about like Ninja Storm and stuff like that, but this game, 
it, it, it resonated with me. And what's interesting is in, like, I guess the past month or so, I kind of rediscovered it. Um, there's a huge, huge competitive scene uh, for this game. And they all play online and they stream on Twitch. Uh, and what's interesting is the community got together. They love this game so much that they actually decided, hey, you know what we need? We need a new version of this game. So <laughs> they got together hmm. and figured out how to program in the Dolphin and actually like augmented and tweaked the game to better suit the competitive community. And they've been having a string of tournaments like uh, awesome. for the past couple of years. Uh, you've got like old school vets that played like the original version of the game, and they're still playing. Some of them are contributing to like I guess the development of these augmented versions that people are enjoying on an even more of a an intense level than the actual like release. And uh, just seeing that was like really cool because there's a lot of fighting games that come out, and especially like anime based like adventure sort of uh, or arena based games that come out. Um, and they kind of come and go, you know, like you don't really hear too many people talk about them. Uh, but this particular game, uh, you know, it has a scene. And I mean, these are these are these are games that are still being played on like an extremely competitive level, uh, which is kind of cool to see uh, because it's such a different type of uh, of fighting game. Like it has the elements of a fighting game, but there's some subtleties that are like similar to like an arena based game. So how you approach it is a little bit different. Um, but again, it, it, it made me ask a lot of questions about, like, you know, how do you approach, like, playing your character? How do you, you know, do that with, like, seemingly limited but, like, extended resources? Uh, and it just, it's a beautiful game for its time. Uh, because, I mean, cel-shaded uh, 3D was still something that people were, like, experimenting with and trying to figure out before, like, Arxis sort of you know, jumped on the scene, and, like, I mean, this was even, I believe it was before, like, the Tales uh, series, like, Tales of Asperia, stuff like that, where, you know, people started to kind of figure out other ways to uh, articulate uh, the nuance of 2D classical, like, Japanese animation with, like, 3D models, so um, to me, it was a really ambitious uh, game, because, uh, I mean, certain things look a little mathematical, but given the time frame of when this came out, like, I mean, I think this is, like, a huge step forward. Like, it's a really beautiful game. And uh, I had a lot of fun with it, like, for the limited time that I did play it. Like, did you guys ever actually play this game? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I actually imported the uh, very first one. I, I was working at a import game shop while I was going to community college in 2003. And uh, I, I have very fond memories of that game. It was uh, um, visually quite as striking as the Naruto Shippuden games, but it's uh, it's still really good looking. It was one of the first really sharp looking cel-shaded uh, games, uh, licensed cel-shaded games, because uh, Jet Set Radio was awesome from the start. But, um, of but, course. Uh, <laughs> I would say it plays way better, in my opinion, than um, the, 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 the Naruto Shippuden games, which are really fun. They're like fun button mashers, awesome, awesome artistry, but like the uh, the GameCube Naruto fighting games are like actually fun to play, like they it. Um, this is gonna sound so condescending, but like it it feels like a fighting game. It doesn't feel like an arena fighter. Right? <laughs> yeah, there's uh, well, 
<laughs> well, I get what you're saying, though, because it's, it's like, with an arena fighting game, there's a particular, like, methodology that kind of happens, yeah. whether it's casual or competitive, that is just like, okay, this is what it is. But yeah. with this game, there's, like, this, this, like, odd mixture of some of those sensibilities, but then the meta of, like, a, quote-unquote, like, traditional 2D uh, fighting or 2.5D fighting game. And to see those things incorporated, it does cause you to create scenarios or puzzles for your opponent that they may be familiar with, but not in this particular, uh, you know, realm of the game. So it, it, it actually is really fun for me in that regard, because you're solving problems in a different way that you didn't, or at least I didn't think, uh, would be... Uh, something that I would actually do in uh, like a two D based fighting game, and then uh, just to see, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I just, I, just to give a quick example, like one of the things that made it fundamentally different from other fighting games is um, the uh, uh, what's the word the the, the 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 you know the ninja log thing, right? <laughs> Where like you get hit yes, tries <laughs> tries it was a log, right? Which is you know a core part of like so much ninja anime and manga. Each part of Naruto, like, oh, you like you weren't hitting me, you were hitting my clone, right? But the the way it plays out in this game is you can sort of retroactively decide if that's you or the log if you have <laughs> meter. Right? And and that was a really yeah. interesting thing. Like I, I did no I'd never experienced that and it was sort of like an undo, right? It was yeah. sort of like an undo button. Like, okay, you yeah. got me, but like surprise, it wasn't me. Yeah, like it, it, it was sort of like a uh, reverse meta kind of thing where you could shift it so quickly yeah. and change the tide of a match that, you know, seemingly wasn't in your favor. Yep. And then suddenly it's in your favor. And in this game, everyone does so much damage. <laughs> so the moment that that happens, it's like your heart kind of stuff. Like, oh my God, like, am I going to lose this round now? Um, <laughs> and, and then even on on the other side of that like just the way that you do damage in this game is actually different too because i mean everybody has like you know specific combo routes and stuff but even if you played a character that was like oh i'm gonna keep you away from me i'm just gonna throw the kitchen sink at you those characters did a lot of damage so like things could like switch incredibly fast and uh just watching some of these is uh is actually pretty cool like uh for, for those that don't know um you know, you could even go on YouTube and look up uh, Combo Breaker 2019, or even beyond that point, uh, and you could find tournaments in Naruto, Gekito, Ninja Tyson, or Naruto GNT4. Um, and even if you're not competitively inclined, you just want to see like a cool game and see people do cool things. Like uh, the the tier list is definitive, but you still see a lot of exploration. You still see a lot of people finding different things, especially in a new build. So. It's, it's interesting to watch uh, and just see the spectacle of, like, I don't know, like, where companies have come from in terms of, like, creating games that look and feel like this uh, with 3D models. Like, sometimes I like to go back and just kind of, you know, look at these things because they remind me of, uh, actually, like, Ultra Super Pictures and uh, Zanzigan, hmm. the people that, you know, when Trigger was actually uh, trying to figure out how to incorporate, you know, these sensibilities with 3D models. Um, you know, like, this game kind of reminds me of what that looks like, but maybe not as fluid of a frame rate, you know, but the, the heart is there. So uh, this is a game that is a hidden gem for me because 
it's it sort of marks that time of like a lot of exploration, uh, I, and I and I really appreciate it. I just wanted to also mention that the UI is actually really good. The uh, we've talked about it in the past, like a couple small things, but like uh, looking at it, like it's got That's kind true. of a, a solid color type UI with like a little bit of, but it like it all kind of tilts slightly into the center. It's mostly at the top. One touch I actually have never seen in another fighting game. Uh, James, you can tell me if this is actually true, but I like how when the character gets hit, their portrait turns a little bit red behind their like their their face and shakes a little bit. And I would imagine that it works well into like activate your peripheral to realize that your block didn't actually work. Um, just like a little yeah. indicator. Uh, it's it's very subtle, but I like I was watching a video of it that James sent, and I was like, oh, that's a really really nice touch. It's in the upper left. It's like not too much, but it's just enough that we talked about in past podcasts about how your peripheral vision picks up motion and color much more sensitively than other things. And I was like, oh, that's a really good like back of the mind thing to indicate whether or not you you are getting hit or your block is effective Dude, you know I never noticed that yeah. what's interesting about that right so is cool. um alpha 2 had this to a slight extent uh the character the, the sprite portraits that you would see sort of where the round uh not the round the timer is if you got hit by like a flaming fireball or you got hit by like a uh, different type of energy, like psycho energy that was like fire or anything like that. Their 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 sprite that's next to the timer would actually change. So you would see like a red sort of like overlay or a red oranges overlay if they got hit by fire or something like that. Not from when they got hit per se, because this is actually a lot more um, consistent with like everything that's going on. But in Alpha Two, that if you're if you got hit by a flaming fireball, the model for that character, the sprite for that character, at the timer would actually like flame. Uh, so it's it's been around, but I think it's been expanded upon uh, in a much more elaborate manner with this game. Do you know who developed uh, that game? You know what? I believe that this game was actually done by D three, um, Tomi. And Namco, all like I believe that they it was like a collaborative effort. I'm sure that hmm. uh, Namco probably distributed it. Yeah, 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 yeah. The of the course. specific developer was uh, Aiding, previously known as uh, Rising, R A I Z I N G, uh, who created the Bloody Roar games. So wow, well, that is both shocking and not surprising at all. Watching this game. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Everything's linking together today. Today is like yeah. the podcast of like you know full circle moments, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a team synergy like podcast. Yes, yeah. truly, because that is another underrated kind of hidden gem series. It's uh, kind of under the radar now, but uh, during the PS One era, that was one of the more exciting three uh, D uh, fighting games. You know, um, in case you don't know, Buddy Roar was a fighting game series starting on PS One. And um, it was all like, uh, uh, you know, beast people. So you, you had a human character and then you could transform into like a, a, a were, you know, a werewolf, a were, were tiger, were boar, like were fox, were bunny. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> really interesting. What, wasn't, uh, wasn't the transformation also an attack in and of itself? Yeah, 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 yeah. The moment you transform, it actually counts as an attack. You could, you, you could transform in the middle of a combo and continue like juggling. I, 
I forget which character it was, but I have a super vivid memory of one of the transformations where the transformation stomps forward, and it's um, it's got a couple of invincibility frames, uh, and it feels so good to land it. You feel like an absolute, just like badass. You feel like completely unstoppable. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that was the, the tiger dude. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he would like stomp, like he would plant his foot down as he punched yeah. it, like just transfer oh, that energy. Long? Yeah, that's uh, the guy's yeah, name, yeah, Shadow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, so. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. You got oh, yeah, it. There, there, there are a whole bunch of different, um, yeah, it's, it's a really cool uh, IP. There's a, whole, there's a whole bunch of different characters and all different um, types of animals that you see as well. But, like, just a little known fact, um, Bloody Roar itself, when it like, was, was, you know, first released, it was released mm -hmm. as, like, Beast, uh, it's called Beast Ariser in, like, North American that's arcades. Right. So I had a whole yeah, different yeah. name there, and then in in the EU, like in Europe where I am, like uh, it's got um, you know Bloody Roar Hyper Beast Duel as well as its name in Japan as well, which was the same thing there, Bloody Roar Hyper Beast Duel. So it's kind of interesting hearing how like you know these games get different um, names kind of like in different places and over time and stuff. It's very strange, but yeah. Also, fun fact as well, it came out three days after my birthday <laughs> in oh, nice. 1997. It came out on July 7th. Yeah. Mine is July 4th, so I'm almost as old. Oh, well, no, it's just a bit younger than I am. <laughs> yeah. Nice. How, how did the North American version get the more Japanese name? <laughs> I know, right? That yeah. normally doesn't happen. <laughs> I, I, I just want to say real quick about that game. I, I think that game probably, it, it, in my mind, it had some of the finest uh, 3D animation for the PS1 era. Like when when you look at it, it's like wow! It still looks amazing. Like they, uh, I, 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 I think they must have used uh, motion capture maybe as a basis. I think that that, that would have been um, accessible to them by then. But definitely really punched up by hand. Like it, it, it's just it, the impact of every attack in that feels super good. Really, really good series. Very, very much worth studying. The, the transformations as well are just absolutely like, amazing. When you see them, you know, in battle, uh, uh, whilst they're actually, you know, being utilized and stuff, it's so so cool. There is um there is a person out there, and they have the best, also some of the absolute best um like gifs and videos. Like Sunny Legend is something oh, yeah. I think <laughs> following because we need to we need to give this uh, this person their due and their respect because some of the best uh, video game gifts fighting game gifts gifts in general of games you need to be following this twitter person they're called sunny legend that's just basically s-u-n-h-i then just legend l-e-g-e-n-d they post the most beautiful gifts of game combos and you know just really cool super slick moments from games and yeah you need to be checking them out for sure they post about they don't make cry like Neo 2, like all kinds of stuff, like from legit all kinds of games. So definitely give them a follow and check them out if you want to see some really cool slick combos. Heck yeah! Cool. Oof. All right, so many so, games. So, so much stuff to talk about. Uh, you mind if I continue the fighting game yeah, hidden yeah, gems yeah. discussion? Go for it. Go for it. Okay, yeah, so right. it's it's pretty different than what we're talking about, but it's still uh, to me like a. Again, very different style of fighting game, but one that I, I feel like is... I don't know if it's really a hidden gem as much as I think it's very underappreciated. So, um, have you all played... It was on PlayStation 1, uh, Gundam Battle Assault. Uh, oh, uh, I love that game so much with my whole heart. I'm sp oh I specifically God. want to talk about Gundam Battle Assault 2, even though <laughs> Gundam Battle Assault 1 is also fantastic. But 
Uh, I just, this is one of those ones where uh, I thought about, like, what's a game that just, like, brings joy to my heart and uh, is not something that the average person might think about um, from this. So this is around the same time, 2002, Gun and Battle Assault 2. This is one where uh, this game combines characters from Mobile Suit Gundam, 8th MS Team, War in the Pocket, Stardust Memory, Zeta Gundam, Double Z, G Gundam, Gundam Wing, Endless Waltz, and uh, Last Outpost. So, like, there's that, and then, um, Richard, maybe you can, you can talk about it a little bit, but it's, it's one of the first games that I remember seeing that's got kind of the spline-feeling animation style, and it works so well because they're all giant robots. Um, yep. But the animation style still, it's a very, so it's a 2D fighting game for anyone that uh, hasn't figured that part out, but it, it has a very different feel to it. Um, anyway, like, so for me, it was just one of these ones that I was like, oh, man, uh, so such a there was actually a Game Boy Advance version too, but the PlayStation One version I think is the you know the just the 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 perfect yeah. mix of those things. Oh, oh, okay, okay, I got I got a comment. On. So um, I love that series. I um, had I, I knew it as uh, Gundam the Battle Master. So that that was the Japanese title. And uh, the very first one actually came out in 1997. Um, so I think we mentioned in earlier podcast. PS1 era, by then, um, they were really pushing 3D, right? And then out of nowhere, like, they made the most, one of the most beautiful looking 2D fighters I've ever seen. And, and uh, at the time, I, I wasn't even aware this style of game was possible. Like, uh, nowadays we have a, there's a program called Spine, right? An uh, animation program called Spine. Everyone kind of is used to 2.5D, you know, maybe Maybe you like Vanillaware games, right? You know, the, the rotating, uh, you know, highly detailed sprite look. Um, and it's sort of become the standard even for, like, TV animation and stuff. But in 1997, this was, like, new ground. And Gundam the Battlemaster, I, I think part of the reason they did it was the PS1 notoriously had very little RAM. So you couldn't have very many frames of animation. Um, so the, the way to get around that was... Uh, you created these characters as as puppets, right? You load each piece as its own sprite and rotate it around and has a couple unique full frames of animation as it rotates in. I'm just blown away by how much they perfected that, like, straight away in 1997 when, if you look at Flash games from that era using similar techniques, they look nowhere near as good as this game. It's amazing looking. It's, it's like watching... Uh, the, the, the sprites are huge. They fill the screen, and the, it feels so much like watching an anime. And um, yeah. yeah, yeah, and, and it, just it real quick, super holds up. It really does. Yeah. Oh, dude, yeah. if you run it through an emulator, if you run it through an emulator at double resolution, it looks unbelievable. Yeah, it looks it's it's like ridiculous because apparently it was actually the source uh, sprites were higher resolution than the PlayStation could output. <laughs> So it, it actually has aged super well. Like it looks amazing if you uh, run it on a modern uh, configuration. Um, and uh, the 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 one you're talking about, part two, that was Gundam: The Battle Master Two. The Japanese version actually had original characters. Um, the mecha were from all those different series, but it actually had like its own weird original story, and the art style was weirdly inspired by Yukito Kishiro, like the, uh, you know, Gundam, Gundam, like a uh, battle angel lead artist, I, I think. Huh. I'm, I'm just, 
I, I, I don't know, but that was the time. It, it, it weirdly was reminiscent of a very particular art style, not even like a popular one. But um, gosh, that's what I love about this era of games. People were just going for broke. They were just like, we're just going to do exactly what we're interested in. Like, we have no <laughs> idea if it'll sell or not. We're just going to like do this, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah that's I'm, I'm just looking at this game and it's absolutely beautiful. In just yeah. in terms of like, there's a video that I'm watching, which is all of the, the super moves. I love watching those videos. I think I've told, yeah. talked about this before, but yeah, like when you get to see some of the particle effects that exist here, some of the actual like, designs of these Gundams as well, obviously just beautiful. But like the merging of these two things together, watching these sparks, you know, graze off of like these other characters, watching the, the, the oil and the metal and the firefly, like it, yeah. it feels like you are very much, <laughs> it feels like you're watching an old an old piece of, a, an old episode of anime yourself, do you know what I mean? Like it feels yeah. like you're right there, like in the middle, in the thick of it. And when you see these moves hit each other, it's crazy. I'm watching one right now, and it gives me some big JoJo's vibes with this, you know, massive punches and arms flying out of this, <laughs> flying out of this mech and just decimating the other mech and stuff. It's, it's so good yeah. to see. Yeah, definitely yeah. cool. One of the other things I like about this game a lot too is the uh, sound design. I mean, I, I probably, mm. yes. I, I, mm -hmm. I, I scream yeah. to the mountains how important this stuff is in music, but the sound design in this game is, it's one of those, the work that went into the sprites, the work that went into, you know, just the way that this variance, um, similar to how I felt about Sentinel, the first time I saw Sentinel in the X-Men Children of the oh Atom. Yeah. Uh, you know, all of this particular sound design uh, cues that they decided to take from older anime, uh, it really breathed life into Sentinel that wasn't necessary, but it's appreciated. Like, they didn't have to go there. They didn't have to do that. But it just is like a, 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 a it's like another layer there, and I feel that this game uh, expands upon that like greatly, uh, Dude. and it it just feels like what it's supposed to, you know. Dude, you just blew my mind. I just realized um, Sentinel from X Men Children of was animated in sort of a prototype of this style of animation because he was such a huge sprite. You know, he was actually a multi piece, not just like one frame of animation at a time. It was like a bunch of pieces sliding around. And the Gundam uh, Battle Assault slash uh, Battle Master games, that's Sentinel the fighting game. Everyone plays Basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah, does. I can't believe I never pieced that together yeah. until now. That's part of, yeah, that's, that's part of why I love this game so much, is that it yeah. literally is Sentinel the fighting game. Who are, uh, I don't actually don't know the developers. Um, I mean, obviously it's Bandai, but, but that's the publisher probably. Do you know who developed it? That's a good question. Um, Let's see. Uh, it says apparently it was developed by Bandai for Bandai, meaning some developer that will never know, because because okay. yeah, Bandai is su such a huge corporation. Um, gosh, I would like to know. Oh, okay, uh, developed by Natsume. So it was developed okay. by uh, the people who made Harvest Moon. <laughs> wow, right? that is not what I expected you to say. <laughs> I, I I I have no idea how big Natsume was at the time or any overlap. That that would be awesome if like the Harvest Moon team was like, well, I guess we got to make a Gundam game to fund the next Harvest Moon. And then that's they just so cool because that's one of that that's one of oh my god oh my god that's one of my hidden gems. <laughs> like oh, the, yeah? what, what, oh. what the next? 
Well, okay, you, know, you, know what, you know what else they made okay. that makes a lot of sense is the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers game on SNES. Sorry, go ahead, Adam. I just wanted to... Awesome. I was just about to mention that. <laughs> yeah, awesome. yeah. Cool. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry to Serious Thunder then. Yeah, like I no, was no, just no, about to... But you know what else is really cool, right? Is the sound designer for this game uh, is uh, Iwatsuki Hiroyuki. They also did sound design work for Wild Guns. Um, yeah. Whoa. Yeah, and also for the Power Rangers uh, fighting game and the Battle Racers uh, game as well. Um, so they, they, they actually were a composer for Wild Guns as well. So they worked on the music and the sound. Nice. So, wow, yeah, sad. it's a interesting... Uh, that's another interesting game that I, I, I kind of had in the back of my head, but for some reason I thought that either Richmond or Sean would have mentioned it. So I was just like, let me not like... Uh, do that, but Wild Guns is also like a really fun uh, arcade style. Uh, I guess you could say it's a beat 'em up with guns. Like it's kind of like Contra, I guess, um, or uh, Sunset Riders. Oh, wow. um, very cool. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, oh gosh, gosh. Uh, if, if if you're listening, please look. If you're not familiar with Natsume, like please look them up. They're 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 one of the great. 16-bit era, uh, well, really, just great developers, period. You know? I think their most famous game now is Harvest Moon, which which we should talk about. But um, uh, before we get to get that, they, they made several other awesome classics. Uh, they're sort of like a low-key, like Capcom, Konami-like uh, company, never quite as famous as them. But they, they made all sorts of different games, yeah. And uh, uh, please go on about, about, about Wild Guns. Oh, cool. Oh, okay. So, basically, uh, Wild Guns was kind of like, you know, at least when my experiences as a kid, right? I played Contra first, and I was like, wow, this is a really cool game. This reminds me of Predator without the Predators, but it still felt like Predator for some reason. Maybe it had something to do with the game design of the cover. I'm not sure, but, um, but I remember playing Wild Guns in an arcade randomly, uh, you know, just going to Ocean City in Maryland. Uh, and if you've never been there, it's a long boardwalk. And it has all the tourist stuff that you want, like pizza, popcorn, T-shirts, and all that stuff. But they also had the most massive arcades. Uh, I almost don't even want to call them arcades. They were like game centers. They were literally, like, almost hmm. set up, like, Japan-style for, like, American standard. Like, because there was just a plethora of games. And it seemed like those centers never ended. Like, it was just, like, games upon games upon games everywhere. Um... And I remember playing this game and just being blown away by uh, the sprite work, the animations, the, the music, uh, just the overall feel of it. Uh, it's just a really visually confident uh, game that uh, kind of took the sensibilities of, like, you know, uh, Contra and just turned them up a notch, like Western style. Uh, there's a lot of intricate, uh, like, mechanical designs. Uh, a lot of it reminds me of... Uh, some of the bosses remind me of, like Robot Carnival. Uh, oh, you know, like like there's beautiful. there's uh, like just intricately beautiful art. A lot of the illustration, like character illustration art for this game, is fantastic. Um, you know, there's a lot a lot of just love that went into uh, these projects. That just you know, it's like this huge Western influence, but there's like that panache of like uh, anime, like '80s anime sensibility that just always works for me. Um, 
you know, I mean, it's it's a game that I feel like if they were to do like a classic release on like the PlayStation Network, like people would pick this up. Maybe they have, I don't know, but dude, um, wait, 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 are you, are you are you serious? Wild Guns, right? We're talking about Wild Guns. Yes. Mm-hmm. Have you not heard of Wild Guns Reloaded? <laughs> oh wait, <laughs> wait! I am a fool. Of course, it's on Switch. Dude. Oh my gosh, I am a That's fool. I I need to buy this game today. Yes, yes, we do. Because, because um, that that team that uh, developed Wild Guns, uh, th- this is a really special thing. Um, so I, I, I actually like uh, was super lucky to meet this team at Tokyo Game Show in, in 2019. Um, so Natsume was a pretty big company back in the day, but the specific um, team within Natsume that developed Wild Guns, uh, they also developed like uh, Ninja Warriors and Hockey and Rocky. This same team, they somehow managed to stay together um, for for decades up until today. And um, they actually spearheaded the remake of the game that they developed in the Super Nintendo era for, for modern consoles. They were actually, no because it's an obscure game. No one was like, oh yeah, this, this will be gangbusters. Everyone remembers Wild Guns. No. They actually pushed for it. They they somehow got the rights to redo the game that they made years ago, and they're like, "Yeah, we just want to like do it even better, like do all the stuff that we wish we could do back oh then." Goodness. So, Wild Guns Reloaded is like one of the exemplary remakes because it's um, I, I think and the the way other people have put it that, that I think perfectly describes it is they remade it into the game that you remember. Playing back in the day. <laughs> oh, let's see. Yeah. Awesome. If, if, if I, I, yeah. Well, it's not PS4 too. You can get this on every modern console. That is amazing. Uh-huh. Yep, yep. The graphics I, are 100% redone, but they're, wow. they're, they're so reminiscent of the original that you, you would think you were from the original, except they're just mm-hmm. subtly better. They're just subtly, like, a little bit higher resolution, but not so high that it, it's still like sprite art, like every pixel counts. And it's just mm-hmm. a little bit more polished, and it's it's so cool that they're out there doing that. And then they redid, um, a new... and they're gonna put out a uh, Rocky and Rocky. A, I think it's a proper sequel, not a remake, but an actual new entry. So, so uh, this, this is year. this is specifically the Natsume Atari team we're talking about because they had a couple different teams. Yeah, but yeah. this is yeah, yeah, that's right. That's yeah. Right. They were acquired by Atari years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're part of Atari now. Yeah. But but these remakes only happen because the team pushed for it. It's not because uh, the publisher was like, oh yeah, you know, like we we think this will make a lot of money. It's like they actually really really want to go back and perfect these games that they made years ago, and I think that's awesome. Uh, that's so cool. I love stories like this when you know things that come to fruition through a genuine like love of, of an IP or of an idea yeah. like it comes through yeah. that way it, it's so nice to hear we are connecting all the dots today <laughs> like everything we've talked about has some weird through connect. line yeah I got, we're gonna keep going because I got the thing I want to talk about just a bit ago like uh, mm-hmm. innocent life a futuristic harvest moon I grew up playing this game and it is one of my hidden gems so on the PSP there was a game that came out back in what was it April 2006 yeah April 2000, April 2006, April 27th, yeah. So I've never heard of it. Was, it's, it's a brilliant game. It's so cool. So basically, think of Harvest Moon, 
just you know mm-hmm. your general farming simulation and yeah it is a spin-off of this of the story of see uh, story of season series of games and yeah it basically follows this android and he is just like you know learning about life he's a very innocent life hence the name and yeah like he is basically just walking around this place called heart flame island it's full of relics and it's full of you know mysteries to uncover and uh, you know find out about and you, yeah you just play through this town and each of the different npcs they've got like really cool interactions that you have with them it reminds me of like harvest moon plus slice of life in the future that's basically it what? it's an incredibly relaxing game and i grew up with it it's so good you can ride around on like a futuristic buggy like every there's a here's one cute thing for example like there's a guy who makes you right he i forget his name um i forget his name i forget his name it is oh, that's it yeah hope his name is um hope okay uh-huh. so he's a, yeah he he's a scientist and he creates you it's called dr hope and he's basically worried that the islands he's worried that the island's volcano may erupt and like destroy everything so the story starts with like the creation of you the protagonist and like the doctor he sort of like enlists you as an as a new resident of the island so he's he's so you're kind of like his, his child basically and you don't know anything about the world you don't know anything about you know anything really so basically you have to just go out into this you know new um, space new island and figure out you know how you're gonna live life what do you, what is it that you want to do and then obviously the game sort of you know gently pushes you into becoming a, a farmer of sorts like like as is standard in the harvest moon kind of series but on top of that it has a really cool through line with sort of you know nature's spirits and you know thinking about the environment and you know what could happen if this volcano on the island erupts and can we stop it is there anything we can do and then on top of that you've got to balance relationships with the island's residents so there's this whole town like i've said before and yeah they just um they help you out in lots of different ways and one other thing which is really funny this story is set in the near future and set in the future year 2022 and we're in 2021 right now (laughs) so it's really funny to think about because (laughs) when i first played this it was literally like again like 07 and yeah like i was just a little kid back then and it's crazy 14 years ago to think now that i'd be sitting here talking about this game and it would be referencing the quote-unquote like you know near future when it's like literally next year now so it's very strange to think about but yeah i think that if anyone gets some time perhaps if you do, if you don't have a psp because obviously they're kind of they're not really like hard to come by now but like this it can sometimes be a bit tricky to find but yeah i would definitely recommend like watching this game or like trying to find like a long through like a long um, a long play of it online or if you can but if you've got a psp definitely pick it up it came out on the psp and also on the playstation 2 as well so that's something which which a lot more people will have i think but yeah Dude. well wait, 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 wait. So the, the subtitle was literally, literally a futuristic I, I thought you were just describing the game that's literally <laughs> the title. that's what it's called i know right it's wild yeah i never heard of this I, I love the harvest moon games like i i, I missed out on this game Mm-hmm. I have it's, also it's never heard of this, but it's a, oh, it's a fantastic looking game. Yeah, I mean, same here. This game yeah, is yeah. beautiful. It looks really nice. It's, it's so good. One of my favorite things, actually, because obviously it's set in the future, you can program and set different robots to do your farming tasks for you. So, like, you could do so many really cool, like, they, for example, there was a robot that, like, worked on, like, rails. I was just sending a video about it here. But, like, you could set up rails around your own personal farm. And they would pick and water different plants for you. They would plant seeds for you. You could almost set it up like it's its own personal kind of like perfect self-automated roller coaster of like planting and like you know like uh, creation of seeds and fruits and stuff. It was it was so good. 
So, so good. They even had in this game, they even had a little TV show in this game where it's like a, a world inside of a world, funnily enough, where they talked about like Sentai shows and really cool, like, you know, superhero type. Um, there, there was this recurring show and it would have like episodes, quote unquote, like every every Sunday they would be uploaded, I think. And you'd get to watch, so you get to basically walk up to the TV, and then you'd see like you know these in these images like flash up on screen and these descriptions of what's going on. It'd be like you're watching like a Saturday morning cartoon, but like in Harvest Moon. It was so cool and strange and weird. Yeah, yeah I really, really love this shit. Love, love this game. It was great. Highly recommend. Highly recommend. It, it's so eerie that specific date, 2022, and we're we're approaching that, and we we're 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 sort of all ignoring the horrors collapse right now. Um, and, and also, you know, automation is like a, a very real thing. Um, Absolutely. And, and also, Shin Ultraman is on the horizon. So, like, it nailed all these <laughs> really specific things that, like, it's all right. Yeah. It, 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 it all came true. My it, all, it all came true. I've just seen the, the, the PS2 um, box, like, the, the box art for it. It's really quite nice. I, I like it quite a lot. It's got um, that, that beautiful. A beautiful, um, like not not watercolor to to a T, but like it's got uh, a very painful feel to it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's 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 really really cool. But yeah, it's one of those games that, in my opinion, it gets um, slept on a lot because it's part of like a larger series that's a bit more well known in the specific um, in the specific kind of game that it is as well, right? So like Harvest Moon, when you talk about it, you've got a certain image of Harvest Moon in your mind. But this game, it's a, it's it's a whole other kind of thing with Harvest Moon like attached to it in a sense. That's kind of like how I looked at it. Because it felt like it had such a such a greater sense of like story set in like the future at the time. And like even the seasons change as well. Like it's beautiful. Like you've got some rich sort of like colours in terms of like auburns and like maroons and sort of goldish yellows and browns and yeah, like it can be really, really pretty looking at it on the actual handheld of the PSP itself. It's it's great. It's really, really good. Really, really cool. I remember the music wow. again. Beautiful. The art style reminds me a lot of what I liked about uh, Xenogears, actually. Like, it, it's 3D, <laughs> but it really pulls off this kind of anime, shrunk-down style vibe. Um, but it does it, like... This is something we talk about a lot, but it's, it's clear that a lot of the, the shadows and lighting here is hand-painted. Like, there is not a lighting... There's not a lot <laughs> of lighting going on here, and that makes it really, like... Uh, it still stands up pretty well, and the colors are really, really nice. Like it, uh, yeah. Th this is a, another one of those ones where if you want to see mm. low poly three D modeling on display, in which like the 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 painter, the painterly aspect and the artistry of the actual textures really comes through. So nice to look at. Yeah. I, yeah. I, if, I just found something now. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say real quick. If you're an artist, um, this game is worth it just to study the, the, the color schemes, color theory alone. Like it, it's one of those rare games where um, everything feels very saturated, but balanced at the same time. Like you, you don't feel overlooked. It's, it's, that's really hard to pull off. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go through this in Photoshop with like the eye drop later. Cause like, Absolutely. It, it, it's very, really impressive how they have all these colors on screen and they don't like uh, fight for attention like it, it's very balanced yeah it, it's amazing honestly it's one of the games which again like at the time it just blew me away because like i was walking around this um this 3d world but it felt like i was walking through like a coloring book 
and all of the colors and the way that they mesh together so beautifully, the ways in which they would introduce so many different kinds of foods and fruits to me. For example, like before I played this game, I didn't know what persimmons were, but like I know now because of this <laughs> game. Do you know what I mean? Oh, so like, that's amazing. Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had I had no clue, and then I, I found out that they were like a real life thing, and then yeah, like that I could you know find them and possibly ingest them in real life. But I thought that they were just <laughs> from this game. So like, yeah, like they have this they have this thing where obviously you know you get to pick and choose different types of plants, different types of fruits, different types of vegetables, and you find them out in the wild. You can get the seeds and you can go back home, and then you can you know plant them and grow them yourself, or you can just forage and find them in the wild anyway. But yeah, they've got all different kinds of mushrooms, all different kinds of fruits and vegetables, like I just said. And they even, obviously, I didn't mention this yet, but they had cooking. So you could get to cook specific meals and it had like a cooking like rating kind of a thing. So like you would kind of learn how to cook like through this game and like your character would actually get better at it and the food would look nicer. And the food would look more, you know, inviting. It was great. Mini aside for everybody, uh, if you're looking into persimmons, try them dried first. Dried persimmons are delicious. Cool. If you have a Trader Joe's near you, I know that's that's mostly an American thing, but uh, you can, or you can, if you get them at the <laughs> store, you can slice them thinly and put them in a um, either an air fryer or a, a dehydrator. Uh, it's, um, nice. Also worth noting that there is a <laughs> if you eat if if you harvest them incorrectly, they're poisonous. So. Uh, I forget yes. the exact details of what makes a persimmon poisonous, but it's you should look up persimmon poisonous. But dried ones are safe and they're very delicious. Yeah, I just wanted to sort of end this with this beautiful art here of like Heart of Flame Island. Perhaps this could be utilized, but yeah, it's just um, it's one of the one of the founding things of the of the PSP. It's full of hidden gems, and a lot of the time, the art direction within these games is just so beautiful. And I think that it's something that should be spoken about a lot more. So that's kind of my piece on this game. If you've not played it, if you've not even heard of it, it's called Innocent Life, a futuristic harvest moon. If you just go on YouTube or just get, go, just go on, on any other, you know, sort of uh, site where you find out about games and find out about videos for things like, yeah, Innocent Life, a futuristic harvest moon. You, you won't go wrong there for PS2, for PS2 and for PSP. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, this is amazing. I, also, I just want to mention something that I'm noticing and watching it. This, they do something really smart that I think we talked about with um, maybe Final Fantasy Tactics is they have a couple things like wood beams and rocks and stuff and how they do the texture. And this is another one where they, they kind of do that thing where they use the roughness um, and unorganized nature of those textures to use it to stretch it across a polygon so that they don't have to use up as much of the texture memory. But because it's wood and because it's rock... It, it doesn't bother you that the texture is stretched. Um, and it, I would imagine that it uses up much less memory. Uh, so there's a, like, as I'm staring at this, I'm seeing all these little, like, really intuitive tricks they've used to get a lot of mileage out of their textures um, without, like, really putting a lot in there. It's uh, so impressive. There's a lot of craft in this game, yeah. Definitely. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go figure out a way to play this. Do you, I, have a, I still have a Vita laying around, my, my Spreecode 2 device. Do you think, do PSP games transfer to Vita? I think some do, but I'm not sure about this one, but you could try yeah. it. Like. On PSN, yeah. Cool. Um, I, I think, uh, don't don't quote me on this, but I think the PlayStation Classics on PSN, I, I don't I don't know if oh, like, yeah. the Vita can still even connect all of it, but I, I think it could play all of it. Ooh, yeah, yeah it, 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 it's available, yeah. It's available on the, um, on the store, yeah, for $15. Yeah. Cool. Playable okay. on, on PSP and PSP, yeah. Wow, that's wild. Wow. <laughs> it's so strange to think about this. 
like it's, it's i've not spoken about this game in a long time but like yeah, yeah. it fits into this conversation overall just mm -hmm, trying to you sure. know raise um crops and livestock and use futuristic tools find hidden treasures in deep mines and ancient lands very cool nice fantastic oh my goodness I've cool i've only got one more like hidden gem that i wanted to mention if i can really quickly it's uh, okay so a while ago we spoke about a certain creator which we all you know dig uh, it's the mr suda 51 and I have been playing a yes. lot of really cool games recently. We'll speak about these in the future. But one of the, you know, catalog of DS games that I bought was Flower, Sun and Rain. Now, this Ooh. is a hidden gem of hidden gems. Basically, you arrive on this place called Lost Pass Island as a character called Sumio Mondo. And he is a searcher. So what he does is he finds different items or different things or just searches for people. He does this professionally as a, you know, as, a, as his occupation. So you go through this kind of like David Lynch style, um, quaint town, spooky things happening in the quiet village type story. And yeah, you go through all these mysteries and start interviewing people to gather information. You got to utilize the Nintendo DS's um, system with the styles to break kinds of codes. And yeah, it's just, you're just following this adventure whilst you search for clues and try and, you know, sort through this amalgamation of interesting and colorful characters whilst trying to seek out this item which you've been tasked with finding. So, yeah, really good game, really fun times. And, yeah, I'd love to chat about it for a little bit. What, what do you get? Do you guys know of this game? I, I, I uh, heard, actually no. I have not actually no, no. played it. Yeah. It's one of these games is... where, like, it, it's not massively popular, but, like, it's very, very good. It should be. Yeah. Yeah, I actually have a friend that's been uh, recommending this game for like years. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it has this really cool vibe to it where like each character that they uh, that you speak to, it does feel like you're interviewing them. It, it, it's got a really kind of odd sense of um, it. It feels like how can I put it? It feels like sitcom writing, but like in it, but in a very like chilled out, slow, very thoughtful and methodical way. So like it feels like they know that they're kind of like on camera, but like they're not at the same time. Like some of the angles that they that they utilize as well, like it can be really strange just watching these characters interact. But at the same time, like it all it all just works out so well because like it just um yeah, like the, the things that they say and the and the reactions and actions that they give each other, it it just sort of slots in together so nicely. Like when you first meet one of the characters who is a broker of sorts, like he says to you, or after you call him a broker, he says, "Hey, don't call me that. Like I'm not a broker. I'm just a guy who just greases the wheels." And then he and then um, the main character Sumio says, "Oh, well, yeah, that's the same thing." And then the broker guy says, "Oh, well, pfft, it's not. You can't. You can't just say that about my profession, kind of a thing." Like it was a very odd interaction that I wasn't kind of ready for, and it was just very strange. Like as a system in the game. There's a system in the game, for example, where you kind of plug into people. And it's very much like in the Mega Man Battle Network series, where everything's called, like, jacks, right? So like, you kind of jack, like, into a person. And the character, after he says, like, oh, you've got to, like, jack into, like, this other person, like, the guy, the, the main character turns towards the camera and says, oh, that sounds kind of weird. And it's like, why, who, who wrote this? Like, what the, like, <laughs> is it, like, is it, like, self-aware? Kind of, like, well, look, look with this, like, there's some, there's some interesting, like, fourth wall breaks that come at times where you wouldn't expect them. And I think that's a big thing in Suda's work, you know, just subverting player expectation and also full of, full of really interesting and intriguing and memorable writing and, and um, character interaction. So definitely check this game out. Flower, Sun and Rain for the Nintendo DS. 
very weird, very zany. I'm only like an hour into it. It's it's great. It's a lot of fun. Also, shout out to um, Austin Walker, who did a beautiful video on this game and yeah, just sort of breaks down what he thinks of the game from a very, you know, just a um, very quick standpoint. He, he doesn't go into it too long. The video is not like, you know, a massive hour spectacle. I think it's only like about two minutes long. Yeah, but it's a great video and I think a lot of people should check it out. That's Austin Walker of, um, of, of Waypoint fame. You should definitely listen to him on that. Okay. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, yeah, it's a very weird game, super strange hidden gem. But yeah, I just had to, I had to talk about it because like I bought I bought it specifically to the chat about like today, because like it's so cool. Like how could I how could I not talk about it? It's it's like it's a person, it's it's a person who we all know about, who we all have some cool sort of game related memories surrounding, right? Suda Fifty One's been working on so many cool games from you know like Lollipop Chainsaw to of course No More Heroes, to of course like again Killer Seven, which I've been playing again recently. Well, not again, I've been playing I've been playing it for the first time recently and it's been a blast for me like yeah there are so many wild and strange games that this person's worked on and been a part of and i think that, they, that their work definitely fits into this category as well as the 3am games that we've been just you know starting off oh yeah definitely it's uh, has 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 uh flower sun and rain been re-released for any any platforms um and I'm, I'm not sure if it's been re-released for anything else but I think it may have. I, th I I have it on DS. It's available on the PS2 as well. I know that. But yeah, oh. um, let me look it up. Yeah. I think. Let's see. Um, Let's see. Yeah, think, it came out uh, May second, two thousand and one, and it only seems to be available right now on the PS2 and DS. It's saying here. I think. Yeah. Okay, yeah well, it might I, be on something else. Oh no! I was thinking of the um, one of the games called the the silver case I, I think it's not a direct sequel but there's like same setting um i think that was originally for place ported to uh switch recently mm -hmm. i want to say it came out on switch recently uh, yeah yeah the, the silver case um is another one of uh, i believe is it wait what was this? okay of course yeah so it was another grasshopper manufacturing plays in like production and yeah it has been released on steam i believe yeah it's out on steam yeah it came out ages ago back in like 2016 i think i think so yeah it's, a, it's another really cool game it's another really cool game I've been, I've been meaning to play that one i don't know very much about it but i'm trying to go through like as much pseudo work as i possibly can because i think yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot to be learned about like interesting uh, ways to twist game mechanics and weave interesting stories obviously not just um goichi suda but like all different kinds of people involved in the production of these games like uh again like kiryuki uh, tamura like a whole bunch of writers like uh, Ma uh masahi oka and Asako kato like a whole bunch of people who are really really good at what it is that they're doing and yeah they're always good to learn from so if you can just uh in terms of hidden gems basically everything grasshopper manufacturer involved is a hidden gem so just go check that out <laughs> yeah. yeah all right um oh, all right richmond i think we haven't i think we haven't heard from you about hidden gems though oh i, I was just gonna say real quick silver case was uh it, it, it i think it's still being ported to uh switch it's gonna come out this year uh, for the yes. Nintendo Switch in uh, July. Yep. 
And um, the remix, the HD remaster, uh, had, the soundtrack was re by Akira Yamaoka of uh, Silent Hill uh, fame. And I, I remember this because a friend of mine has been trying to get me to play uh, Flower, uh, Sun, Rain, and Silver Case for a while. I remember he sent me some promo for Silver Case. And it had such appealing sound design. I was like, oh my god. Absolutely. This game sounds so good. Like, I, I it, it, it was as appealing to me as like uh, art direction, like visual art direction that I really like. I was like, I've never been so struck by like the pure sound design like this before. So um, keep, keep an eye and an ear. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, that is all due to a very, very amazing person called Masafumi Takada. And yeah, Japanese video game music composer, best known for their work on, again, Killer7, God yeah. Hand, No More Heroes, Earth Defense Force, and Danganronpa series. Wow. Yeah, wow. Often, wow. often partnering up with people wow. like Jun Fukuda. And like, they've been working on multiple projects with, uh, you know, Goichi Suda, uh, Suda51, and uh, Grasshopper Manufacture. And just also publishing music through like, their own label, Sound Prestige, which they founded in 2008. So he's the founding member of like that and like, you know, the video game development studio, Two Kyo Games, which was founded in 2017 by other members of, Fight, uh, of Spike Chunsoft. So like, it all links together. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very, very, very cool. Okay. But yeah, but if you can, everybody get get the chance to listen to this person's work because they are an absolute musical um, big brain genius. Yeah, really, really, really good soundtracks on everything that they've been involved in. Everything, it's it's so so cool. Yeah, and also again, funnily enough, just to bring it all right all the way back around as well, they worked on Shining Soul too. So yeah, back in two thousand three. <laughs> wow! 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 Wild, right? Everything, everything yeah. works together. On everything, um, everyone's related to everybody in some way. Mm -hmm. Oh man! All right, um, <clears throat> Sean, you asked me uh, for my own another hidden gem. Mm -hmm. So to bring it back to the uh, Game Boy Advance, uh, one of one of my favorite hidden gems is a Drill Dozer, uh, developed by a Game Freak published by Nintendo for the Game Boy Advance. So um, everyone knows Game Freak is for Pokemon. And uh, Drill Dozer is one of the uh, rare non-Pokemon games that they... And it was directed by Ken Sugimori, who was the uh, lead artist on Pokemon. So he designed uh, most of the classic, original, you know, Pokemon that everyone knows and loves. And uh, he's one of my all-time favorite artists. Um, and. I love Drill Dozer. Sort of, this is um, you know the game that he directed. He full control of it, not just the visuals, but the gameplay. And uh, of course, visually, it's a very sharp game. It's beautiful sprite art, um, kind, of, kind of reminiscent of like Advance, actually, except it's uh, you know a full-on action game. It, it, it gives me a bit of a Mega Man feel, to, but with a little bit of um, softness to it. Mm -hmm. yeah 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 you um so you 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 control this uh kid and she's riding around game called the drill Dip, and it's like a little bipedal robot it kind of looks like um like in Gurren Lagan uh, when when they only have uh uh when Simon the first mecha right I, I, it's just like a head and he's just like sitting yeah. in a bowl piloting it and actually this game's all about drills much like Gurren Lagann. I, 
I have no idea if it actually inspired it or not. But um, yeah, the, the, so the core mechanic of this game is that you have a, a bipedal mecha uh, chariot thing, and it, it's got a drill. And if you control the get drill with the triggers, the and you, you you know L and R, and that changes the direction of the uh, the drill. And it's it's so simple, but it's so satisfying. Like the way that it, it ties into the game. So like I'm um, yeah, it's all about like you know obviously drilling enemies, and that's like how you attack them. But then you can also like drill through like different materials, and then there's like. Uh, your drill also interfaces with like uh, things like you know making like a gate rise up or like uh, deflecting you know bombs and and it's just like a really um, very tactile game. I, I think that's what I really like about it. It's it's a it's a very uh, it's got a really good game feel. For for me, that's one of my top things I look for in a game is. Uh, just the, the 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 simple satisfaction of doing any performing any action like everything in the game just has a really satisfying sense of weight to it, um, and and the core mechanic is a very I, I can't really quite like it with the drill mechanics. I super duper recommend this game, uh, Drill Dozer. And uh, if you, if you can actually track down the original part, um, it was one of the uh, Game Boy Advance games with the rumble. Uh, rumble pack, so like you actually feel like the drill going while you're playing. So cool. um, and and if you can actually get like the actual you know complete package, the instruction manual has a comic that uh, Ken Sugimori uh, himself, and it, it's beautiful. I I, I love his art. He, he he's like a Bengus too, you know. Like he's, he's a <laughs> wonderful artist. And uh, no, I, I I don't mean that as I I don't mean that he's derivative or anything. I just mean like I love his work the same way I love like Bengus and it. Yeah, totally. Maybe maybe yeah. he was influenced a little bit, but like he's very much his own thing, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, you know what this reminds me of? Uh, gun. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I was just gonna say it's nice to see artists of like of such a caliber, right? Like sort of not always not always um influencing each other in the most like uh, obvious of ways but like when you see some like similarities sometimes and they're still done like so tastefully it's so cool just to see and just to you know try and soak that in yourself right like you you respect it on such a high level that you can notice it in the first place i, I know what you mean yeah. uh yeah. and i was gonna say that uh i mean this is this game is uh drill is much better crafted but it kind of reminds me a lot of gunbound um kind of like that that style of uh, driving around like a little, like a smaller kind of vehicle, uh, with different types of like weapons and movement and stuff like that. But it's super cohesive and delightful looking. Like there's, it really, it hasn't aged much. I mean, uh, really at all. And the, the colors are really, like I said, they're softer. They feel really good. Oh yeah, yeah. This game um, hasn't aged a day. It, it, it's still uh, just the gameplay novel and unique and. Um, I, I think it's one of the best looking uh, sprite art games. Ken Sugimori is a sprite art genius. Like, you look at like the stuff he was doing on the Mega Drive back in the day, it uh, it looks like a Game Boy Advance game, or even like uh, Mendel Palace uh, slash uh, Quinty for the original Famicom. You know, the original NES. Like, the sprites there look like they could fit into a Game Boy Advance game. Like, he was really far thinking. Like. Uh, I think when other people were taking sprites just like very literally, he was 
on another level. Like, um, he wasn't just thinking, like, how can I make this kind of look like an illustration or anime? Like, he was, like, like several steps ahead of that, where it was, like, sprite art that felt like that, but it was just sprite art. It was very much about the appeal with that, the sprite art itself. Like, dude is a sprite art genius. He's, he's one of the greats. Uh, absolutely. And you can tell from just what it is that you said here, how much it means, like, to you. And obviously getting that phrase back and forth is really cool. So, yeah, yeah that's great. Yep. And uh, just yeah. this fun fact about Drill Dozer, one of two games that uh, Ken Sugimori was the actual director of, you know, as in like the entire game, uh, it was this and uh, Magical Taruto, which was uh, based off of a, a really gonzo uh, Shonen Jump uh, comic uh, for the Mega Drive. Uh, that, that game's wonderful spreader. Really, really, really nice. Mm. I got one random gem real quick. Yeah, yeah, like a, a, a last one. Okay, so this is one of the first games that I ever saw at um, a thing called EGX, which is Eurogamer Expo. And yeah, it's got a really weird feel to it. It's a very strange game. What I'm about to explain might sound very, very strange, but okay, here we go. So basically, this game is called Hell Yeah Wrath of the Dead Rabbit. Mm. This is a very strange game that is, in a sense, a seek. It's like a spiritual successor, kind of, to um, to Drill Dozer. It's got a very a lot of similar gameplay in terms of like motion and moving around and like how you so how you supposed to destroy the world around you. But the plot of this game is there's a skeletal rabbit called Ash, and he is like the prince of hell, and he's inherited that role of of the ruler of hell from his father. But uh, there's a photograph, <laughs> and a photographer takes a picture of Ash whilst he's playing with rubber ducks in his bath in his bathtub. So obviously it's not very like it's not very cool, right? Playing with rubber duckies in your bathtub can't have that if you're going to be the the print of hell. So yeah, Ash sets out to kill 100 monsters. I've seen the photo to restore his image. <laughs> That's basically it. That's his whole deal. So it's it's his rabbit that basically doesn't want to get embarrassed on online, and he just like goes out and starts like just killing everyone that's seeing this image now because oh he wants to be cool again. But yeah, the game's great. It's got a lot of different zones with different visual styles, including like lots of haunted caves, like science labs, casinos, spaceships, full of talking animals, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, this was a game that I played um, at EGX. I've not I've not played all of it. I only got to play a very short like demo at the time. But like my dad took me to a um, Eurogamer in back in 2012 for the first time, and I was absolutely you know like like a kid in a candy store walking around being like, oh wow, game design is wow, games wow, like you know. And obviously, I still get excited like that till this day. But yeah, so seeing this and it just reminds me so much of Drill Dozer because like I always wanted to play that yeah, game, absolutely. but I never got to. But, and I've always wanted to play this game, but I never got to. So it just reminded me of that right now. And I thought that so since I just found an article that kind of linked them together, like I just wanted to mention that right now. But yeah, it's great. It does exist right now. And I think that you can get it. Um, it got released where? It got released back in 2012, but it was available on the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 and Windows. And it was developed by um, Arkido Studio and published by Sega. So, yeah, real fun um, platformer slash multi Metroidvania, multiple levels, multiple, you know, ways of getting around, full of really interesting level design level design and gameplay mechanics and really cool ways that they blend together. But, yeah, it was full of really cool, um, I think, what was it, like seven levels or six? I think it was, like, seven levels separated by, like, I think these big doors, and you had to kill, um, oh, yeah, 100 monsters, all individually named. And, yeah, it's a really fun game full of, really odd and strange interactions with different types of uh, 
characters and enemies and stuff. But yeah, you, the main thing is you ride around on this big saw blade and you've got guns and lasers. And like the guns and lasers, they're kind of like supplementary weapons, but you're mainly just sort of like shredding through enemies. And there's lots of blood and gore everywhere. And it, it, yeah, it, it's a very um, hell yeah, Arxis, Daisuke kind of feel to it, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so yeah, you, everyone should check it out. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that looks super fun. Yeah, yeah it's, it, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. You, you could tell, like, they had fun making the game, too. Like, it, it, that's immediately apparent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's always a good it, feeling. Yeah, yeah. It definitely is. It, it has a really cool sort of, like, blood meter as well. So, for example, like, whenever, you, whenever it is you are... Yeah, whatever it is you're trying to, you know, kill enemies and stuff, you need to get the blood from them. So, yeah, it, uh, it's a lot of fun. Everyone should check it out. Very uh, gory and gutsy and stuff, but it gets to be a bit crazy at times. Definitely give it a shot. Okay. All right. Wow. Let's see. Um, let's do one more. Who who wants to... Um, I nominate James. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I, do, I do have one more uh hidden gem but i don't know if it it's it's a little new uh compared to i guess some of the other games that we've been talking about but uh it is something that does come to mind uh but again it is it is a bit more modern but maybe people don't know too much about it um it's actually called the convenience store i haven't heard of this Okay. Uh, neither have I. So this I know this this, this this game uh, is <laughs> it's strange, uh, mainly just because I, it's something I guess people don't really uh, think about. But you know, it's kind of like lol. It's 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 about a convenience store, but more like the Japanese style, like kombini. Kombini, uh, yeah. Yeah. So basically, the way that this works is. You, you you play a character that works in a convenience store and it's basically you follow the character from you know the time that they actually are preparing to go to work to them actually going to work and actually working um and all seems you know fair calm and you know like oh there's just nothing crazy about this and then you start to hear about like the rumors of like doors suddenly opening and closing in the convenience store like in the back and you know you end up meeting this guy who like hangs around the convenience store he tells you like well i know what happens and why this happens and it's sort of it's like the unweaving of a uh, a horror movie basically or a horror or horrific story and you sort of play through it and uh it's insanely terrifying while being very calm uh, you know, you deal with different uh, customers coming in asking for certain things for different reasons. So you kind of get to learn about like the life and the story around the town that you're in uh, and how that may connect to some of the uh, seemingly supernatural things that are going on as well. But uh, it, it came out originally, I believe, in 2015. Um you know, but again, it's something that no, not 2015. I think it's 2020, actually. Um, you know, it's it's a game that uh, basically, I don't think I've ever seen too many people talking about it. Um, but I do think, in terms of like, I guess, new sort of atmospheric horror, um, 
it's definitely worth checking out. Um, you know, I, I've, I've been playing a lot more horror games recently. I'm not really sure why. <laughs> but uh, I've been sort of enjoying this idea of uh, putting myself in these situations that seem incredibly mundane, but then, like, have this one subtle cue that sort of makes you re-analyze um, and reassess everything that's around you. Like, I sort of enjoy when a creator can kind of create that experience and then uh, subvert your expectations of, like, what is scary and what isn't, you know? Because a convenience store on its own is not a scary thing. Uh, but when you start to think about, like, how long those things are open and how, like, a convenience store in the morning uh, might feel different than a convenience store at, like, you know, 3 a.m., you know, no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, you know, so there's different things that you might feel, uh, especially if you've been there all day and then that sort of aura gradually changing over the course of time, uh, that can be kind of a scary thing. And even just from the perspective of an employee who might be sleep deprived because of the nature of their job too. So I feel like these aspects are explored, uh, quite a bit in this game. Um, and it's got a, got a particular aesthetic to it. Uh, it's sort of an old school, like PS1 vibe with a lot of, uh, you know, sort of, uh, aesthetical feels from the now just to kind of add like a particular texture to uh, you know how the game actually works and how it feels uh, you know everything seems like you're playing like a VHS version of a PlayStation 1 game uh, you know because there's a, a bit of the uh, chromatic aberration so everything's a little blurry uh, but it, it has an interesting uh, sensibility to it and uh, I feel like more people should play it you know I think it's uh sort of fun to explore things that are not the typical horror that you normally uh, experience in a game. So I, I feel like this game kind of hits the hammer on the nail. I, I wish it had a little more funding so you could see it a little bit more. Uh, but I think the, the premise here is pretty cool. Wow. Well, that, that was quite the endorsement. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. like, a, like a perfect endorsement. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right, cool. I, I want to wrap up with one last thing real quick. Uh, yeah, go for it. Like, Oh, no, no, oh, I, I really want to add it. Yeah, go ahead. All right, cool, cool. Uh, yeah, so just to sort of, like, finalize, today, as we're recording, like we said, it is the 20th anniversary of the Game Boy Advance, and a very good friend of mine, a dude called Rick, a really cool, really fun, really, really amazing developer and artist. He's been working on this game called Good Boy Galaxy, and it is so, so cool. Basically... He's made this game and it works on an actual Game Boy Advance. So we're in 2021 right now and he's developed for this, yeah, and he's developed for the Game Boy Advance. He's making this game and he's just making out the sheer love for the, for the GBA. It started off as a jam project with him and a friend and yeah, it is a 2D platformer side scroller with some shooting elements in it. Think very Metroid Fusion type vibes, but with a very cute dog named Maxwell. Now this dog is looking for a way to get back home to their own galaxy after porting themselves super, super far away in their own spaceship. But they have a, they've arrived on this sort of like strange and scary new, um, not even just island, but like collection of areas on an entirely new planet in a new solar system, which is very scary if you're a tiny little cute dog. But yeah, like there's um, a demo and a Kickstarter for this coming soon. And my buddy, he just released this today. He just released a trailer for this today. And I think everybody who's listening, if you could go check it out and go follow him at Hot Pengu. So it's Hot Pengu, H-O-T underscore P-E-N-G-U. 
if you go do that, that'd be great. Just go tell him I sent you. He's working on this and he's been working on it for a long time. He works super hard. And yeah, it's just great to see such beautiful pixel art utilized and, you know, brought to life on on a new level. Do you know what I mean? So when you understand something about a medium, you can often take it and shift it and morph it and make it what it is that you want. But I think that he's doing this in a way that we've seen before, but adding his own spice to it in a way that we haven't seen before. So it all feels so so crunchy. It all feels so fluid and it feels so full of character and fun. It's it's got a really nice vibe to it. And I think that when you see the trailer, when you hear the music, who's which is also being developed by another great, great composer called um Exolotl. And they're uh, at E-X-E-L-O-T-L on Twitter. You should go check them out too. Yeah, like it all fits together so well. And I showed these dudes this trailer earlier today. And yeah, it just let, let us know how you feel about it really quickly, guys. Looks excellent. It's really, really fun. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, one thing I, I, I'll say... Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, one, one thing I, I want to say is that uh, when you can confidently convey an adventurous cute dog that also that automatically gets me interested uh the, the yeah. design of this main character is is perfect uh all of the movements that you see in the trailer it's like it gives you just enough information uh about the character that you're going to be controlling and uh, i really enjoy uh just the overall feel of this um you know it's it's 2021 but i feel like this this is a timely uh project uh i just in terms of how it feels just the look the animations uh everything about this feels like this is a game that you should be playing and i also want to add that i need a be good or play dead t-shirt uh i don't know if yeah. they have merch planned but i i need that in my life so uh i will be barking at them politely on twitter just to uh <laughs> get that to be a thing that's done but i really love the overall sensibility uh, and feel of this project and I'm, I'm I'm glad to know somebody that's a part of it by proxy and just I'm glad for it to even be in existence like this is something that I'm definitely going to be uh, looking into supporting yeah it's got a it's got a really fluid feel especially like I really said when I saw the the gameplay portion of it it's uh, like I said it's got a lot of life to it um, and it's mm -hmm. reminiscent of a lot of it it, it, it kind of feels to me like without knowing much about how the game's going to be structured like a little bit of um a bit more throwback ver version of like Ori and the Will of the Wisps, which was a fantastic game, but uh, this one kind of pulls the—I don't know—cuteness is not the right word, but it pulls the delightfulness slider up quite a bit, and uh, it looks like it's got a, a ton of fun and a little bit of challenge too, which I always appreciate in games uh, like this. Like you know, games nowadays, sure. a lot of AAA ones are not particularly challenging, and then the way they are challenging is they make things bullet sponges, whereas this one looks like it actually has. A lot of platforming. I noticed some of the dialogue that's in the trailer is pretty, pretty fun and delightful. So I'm, uh, I'm excited to to try it out. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the it's one of these things, isn't it? Where it's like when you find out about a new indie project and like don't necessarily know much about it, you kind of you can only take in like so much. But at the same time, like it, it's it's exciting, right? Like when you find out about it's like it's like learning about a new show or trying a new favorite food. Like you don't know if you're gonna like it if you're gonna like it superbly yet, but like you're interested and you're kind of hooked. That's one of the that's one of the coolest things I think about situations like this. So I'm glad you guys dig it, and yeah, I hope that everyone else does too. No, for sure. I mean, this this is uh, again, it's something that I, I definitely didn't know anything about until now, and I'm grateful that I know about it because 
I mean, as, as we can all see, uh, you know, there's there's a particular way that games are or just content in general is marketed now. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's definitely nice to see things like this that are just made based on uh, the love of like a particular uh, type of art or an era of, of gaming. And uh, just to see people sort of make their own uh, love letter uh, about those types of things is always, it's a, it puts a smile on my face for sure. Um, and I definitely will be tweeting and retweeting about it. So I, I'm, I'm excited, honestly. Uh, I wanted to also tell people if they're interested. Uh, honestly, go check out the website, goodboygalaxy.com. It's, it's like I liked the trailer, and then I went to go look at the website, and the website is super delightful. Not only does it have like really good, large versions of the screenshots, you can really get a look at the detail, but it's got like little stuff like uh, the main character jumping and running across the screen, like some animated versions of him playing a Game Boy Advance and stuff like that. So. Uh, I feel like if if the trailer doesn't convince you, let the website take a turn at you and see if you're you're not ready to play this game. Totally, we were just talking about that actually, because like um, the website itself, there was a lot of um, there's a lot of thought that went into that. And to be hearing this now, I'm gonna relay it obviously, but you know, Rick will hear this himself. But yeah, it's so good to hear everyone have the same feedback. It just it's so delightful to look at, and delightful is a perfect word for this as a project overall. So I'm glad you said that. Oh yeah, uh, the um, I also uh, I'm like I just mentioned real quick. Like I'm a real sucker for the um, like the parallaxing, but also like the thing where uh, even like the footer has like a little bit of you know background animation of clouds like moving slowly and stuff like that. So uh, that's where you can tell a lot of love goes into something when people put that kind of much detail, especially with the the scrolling stuff. It really kind of feels. Um, Makes you really want to learn more about it. There's a lot, you know, kind of, kind of going on. It doesn't, it doesn't take your support for granted, which is another thing that I really appreciate about indie titles as well. <laughs> wow, so we, we, a lot, of, a lot of meandering paths tonight, huh? I know, right? <laughs> yep. Just so much. <laughs> yeah, this is this ended up being pretty epic. All right, dudes, it is actually 3 a.m. for me now, and <laughs> I gotta, I gotta close stuff out. Uh, uh, sure. Let's do it. All right. Um, such a pleasure recording with y'all. All right, listeners. So uh, this is the conclusion of the Art Eater podcast number 33. Um, so if you enjoyed uh, listening, you can follow along uh, wherever you, know, you get podcasts. If you want to get some advance notice, you know, see like uh, yeah, some, some behind the scenes stuff, uh, you can keep track of the podcast on Twitter. That's uh, Art Eater Podcast on Twitter, A-R-T-E-A-T-E-R uh, -E -E Podcast. Um, <clears throat> and you can also go to arteater.com. That's A-R-T-E-A-T-E-R.com. Uh, that also has a full list of uh, every podcast that we've ever published. So if you want to you know, um, go into the back catalog, it's right there. And if you uh, want to follow me, I'm on Twitter at uh, Richmond Lee. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-D underscore. Uh, L E E. Uh, you know, I'm I'm your host. Uh, Sean and I used to uh, do uh, games and website development back in the. Currently, um, I run my studio, and uh, in fact, you can um, follow the development of one of our uh, games right now. It's called uh, Zeka Tactics. Z E C H A T A C T I C S. Zeka Tactics. Uh, at Zeka Tactics, you can follow along on Twitter. Um, yeah, that's that's what I'm up to. What are you dudes?
let everyone know uh, how they can they can follow along. Uh, well, uh, this is James Stanley once again. I am uh, on the Twitters as Beefy Kunoichi. That is B E F Y underscore K U N O I C H I. Uh, a lot of the work that I post is mainly based around my original project called Part Time Shuffle. Uh, I am currently working on putting together the collected graphic novel for the first three issues. Uh, I am currently editing that and letting out a, a few teases here and there. Uh, if you don't see that, I'm usually just talking about other cool things that I like, uh, like fighting games and the food that I make. So if you're interested in those types of things, uh, you know, check me out. Again, it's B-E-E-F-Y underscore K-U-N-O-I-C-H-I. Uh, Sean, you want you want to let let everyone know what you've been up to lately? Oh yeah, the pod- sure. Uh, I'm Sean. I'm always here. Uh, I edit the podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> dur- during the day, I lead the design teams at uh, NDXT. We're a PC gaming company. Uh, so if you want to follow me on Twitter, I mostly talk about PC gaming games in general. Um, as you've probably figured out, since I talk about UI all the time, I am a uh, UI designer and a brand designer, so I, I do a lot of that here and there on the side. I do writing. Uh, I'm working on a book right now, um, which will have more information as I get it closer to publishing, but you can follow me uh, at Daborsk, D-A-B-O-R-S-K, uh, and uh, I will be retweeting what these guys post. Super, super cool. You guys should definitely follow everybody that has been on this podcast but yeah i am adam Myers. i go by at aj or so people can just call me aj or just adam either are cool but i go by at ajmattis that's just aj mattis on twitter i'm a 24 year old um, game and level designer i'm a taekwondo fighter eu champion and yeah i love talking about pixel art video games um fighting martial arts uh literally everything that you will probably enjoy if you like this podcast just drop me a follow and see what happens because you'll probably like something that i've got to say so <laughs> yeah i make a lot of pixel art and i'm working on something currently which is pretty much almost like done ready to be shown so i'm trying to work on that and see how that goes but yeah just uh if you're ever hyped about pixel art if you ever want to talk about it or if you ever want to talk about anything else related to what we've been talking about you can hit any one of us up and again that's just me adam mattis at a-J-M-A-T-T-I-S. So yeah, hit me up. We'll see what's up. All right. It's been uh, such a pleasure recording with you all. And uh, oh, just want to also give a shout out to our other podcast series that we have going called uh, 3 AM Games. So that's the new podcast uh, series uh, where we talk about our favorite uh, kind of um, off the beaten path games, uh, 3 AM games, games that make you feel like it's just the the dead of night, no matter what time of day it is, you're actually playing. So, um, yeah, uh, keep an eye out for that as well. And yeah, thank you uh, for listening. And um, oh my gosh, thank you guys for uh, being on the podcast. It's it's always, always, always uh, such a pleasure to get together and just you know have fun and chat about stuff that we love. So uh, thank you and good night. Later. Thank you.